Hello, everybody. This is a very special episode we're uploading today. This is actually from the Giant Robot FM feed. Uh, Steven and PMC were kind enough to ask me to come on to their episode again. Um, aside from their fantastic history episode that's like three and a half hours long and has been now been overshadowed by their really awesome history episode on uh, Mobile Suit Gundam with Tom Asnable. Check that out. Um, but no, they asked me to come on and uh, be part of this interview they did with Gwyn Campbell and Adrian Lozano from Creative Sphere. Um, they were part of uh, getting Macross Plus in theaters. They also um, have translated um, Valkyrie's Third Sortie, I believe it's called, uh, Tenjin's Book. And then uh, also on top of that... Um, they did Walk Your Third Live, and then subtitles for Macross Delta. Uh, they've done uh, quite a bit. So yeah, so with that in mind, um, this was a really great interview. I was, again, just really happy and learned a lot. Um, pretty honored to be brought in on this. And here, um, some tales from people who've been in this community for a long time and are now professionally involved. Um, especially like some things I'd like to mention off the top that I thought were, I've heard from industry folks I've known for a while that oh, I'm happy that they squashed for me. It was one fire bar music. Isn't a problem. Like it's on Apple music and Spotify. So that's great to hear. Um, and also what we were talking about the right stuff, stuff, Adrian gets into that a bit, uh, as well from, uh, the Macross plus, uh, movie edition episode we did with Steven, um, nope, that they're they're not involved. It's just a um, ad uh, placement thing that's involved with Fathom Events. But Adrian will get more into that in this episode. And without further ado, here we go. Here's the interview. Check it on out. Yeah, Steven. Dude, you remember Macross? Y y you know, I like the spirit you guys are giving to this, but it seems that you two have forgotten that this is Giant Robot FM, the home for robots super real and, well, too real. All right, so you, you listeners out there at the intersection of many bits right now, as you can see, this is not our typical Giant Robot FM format. We are joined by many people virtually. Um, Coop, of course, is on. We have a very special Macross-related episode for you all. But before we get to, like, you know, the, the nitty-gritty here, well, number one, I also have PMC. PMC, introduce yourself. Coop, say hello as well. Hello, I'm Coop from that show about remembering Macross. Hello, I'm, <laughs> I'm PMC, and I'm still uh, very, very really on Giant Robot FM. But most importantly, today, very special episode, we are joined by Adrian Lozano and Gwyn Campbell, a veteran podcasting duo, podcasting for nearly 10 years. Is that correct, Adrian Gwynn? We made 10 years last year, I believe. Yeah, awesome. and then and then running out of time to do any more episodes. <laughs> <laughs> in addition to being two veteran podcasters, you're two towering figures in the Macross community. Welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to have you. Um, before we hit you know, the questions, we want to take a moment to introduce yourselves. You are both very active in the Mecha community, fandom community 
both on, both on an enthusiast level and a professional capacity. And also, during this intro, definitely take a well-earned victory lap for the recent theatrical run of Macross Plus Movie Edition, which you two had a hand in. Wow, it's been a long time since we got on one of these. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, we, we were on a 10-year last year. Actually, Gwen was... Uh, had podcasted a video game podcast. Prior yeah, to I was doing video game podcasts back in the one-up days. I wasn't on the ah. one-up at all, but uh, we were doing a, a couple of people in the video game industry at the time. We did a bunch of video game podcasts. We covered like the launch of the newfangled PSP back when it launched, things like that. Um, but the video game space got pretty crowded. Everyone's doing their own thing, gradually moving to YouTube. And so Adrian and I were like, well, what can we do? Uh, from here in Tokyo. And so, yeah, we start up our own podcast to cover more Macross and Mecha-related stuff at the time. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I got into listening to podcasts during the one-up era. I was listening to Retronauts in col- my freshman year in college in 2006. I missed that one-up show jingle, you know? That was pretty Oh, cool. yeah. I play that sometimes. Uh, th- I play it sometimes just for kicks. That It's a real <laughs> nostalgia drug for me, which is appropriate because we're watching Macross Plus, which is drenched in nostalgia. Guys are talking a language I don't understand. <laughs> uh, gaming podcast. I I literally bought a PS4 just to have the Blu-ray player. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's my uh, PS5 right now. So I I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a Sega Master System kid, so I don't know anything about Nintendo or anything like that. So, but uh, anyways, fast forward, we started doing a podcast because you know. We would we all met locally here in Tokyo because yeah. there was a lot of Macross events, especially during the Frontier era. Mm. And we were all members of the Macross World Forums at the time. And since we kind of started crossing paths, we all started hanging out a little bit more. And like Renato Rivera, who is also a member of the podcast, he was living in Kansai, so down south. Mm. But he eventually moved up here, so he ended up joining the podcast weekly. Then Egan Liu, he ended up moving to Tokyo, so he was on the podcast. And we have you know, another couple of people coming in and out yeah. whenever they're in town. Yeah, I think the inspiration for, for that particular podcast hit you know, in between the two Macross Frontier movies. Oh, that was the first one, yeah. Right. And then the second movie dropped. And first of all, we wanted to get out there and talk to people about what it was like, you know, and that second movie uh, came out 11 years ago yesterday. Mm. Um, and going on from that, we're like, well, what do we talk about? Because with all due respect to what you guys are doing, which is great, you know, everyone at the time had, you know, done their episode rundown, whether it be by a blog or a YouTube channel. So we wanted something different. And the one thing we were hearing from the fans online was, well, that's another Macross movie done. Well, now we guess the franchise is going into hi- onto hiatus for another five years because traditionally Macross does something every five years as an anniversary project. Hmm. And we were like, well, no, things are just like picking up. Like the, the fan movement here from Frontier was absolutely incredible. And you know, there were pop-up shops. There were fans holding their own concerts. There were cover bands for Yoko Kano's Frontier stuff and plus um, – you know, there were cafes where people would go every single night and collect freebies and, and trade and stuff. So we wanted to bring something that couldn't be experienced normally online, that couldn't be downloaded. And that was the experience of living through the, the Japanese fan culture. That's kind of what it turned into because we originally were going to go like episode breakdowns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had planned it. And the, the very first one we said we were going to do was Macross 2. 
And because so many events kept happening in pop-up shops, we had more news updates and actual news to give as far as what was said in talk shows or new toy announcement, toy show announcements. Yeah. We In 10 years, we never did an episode breakdown. We had a few movies, but... Uh... Yeah, just movies, like FB7. We would, we would break it down, but it was after we saw it the first time. So it wasn't like watching it. It was all off memory. So. That's a real a asset, lot. though, because so few fans, of course, have access to these usually exclusively Japanese materials that to have actually people, English speakers, on the ground floor in Japan, again, is a real asset to the fan community. Hmm. So during that time of running around, <clears throat> I think... The other thing that was a really interesting that it happened is the Japanese fandom really took us in. Yeah. I mean, as a group, not as an individual, we all started getting to know the, the you know, the local group here, which they all know the people in Kansai up north, because anytime there's a big event in Tokyo, everyone from every corner of Japan comes to Tokyo. So through that, we got to know some people. And at the time, I did some artwork for a Megazone 2-3 doujinshi. Cool. And I got to know the circle, and I'd see them every once in a while because they weren't necessarily Macross fans. They were just heavy Megazone fans. <clears throat> so it was a very small circle. And one year at Tokyo Anime Fair, I saw them hovering around some door, and I walked up to them, and I was like, what are you guys doing? Right? <laughs> My Japanese is really bad. Even back then, it was worse. But yeah, I'm trying to communicate, like, what's going on? And they're just, oh, yeah. And they had, they're just huddled around this door. And all of a sudden, it opens up. And Hidetaka Tenjin walks out. Because at that point, he had released um, his artwork book. Not, a, not the Valkyries, but a different one. Do you want to say who Tenjin is for the listeners? Well, he's, he's kind of the Macross's go-to box artist and um, DVD, Blu-ray box art. Yeah. So Hidetaka Tenjin, if you're not familiar with him. Yeah. He comes out walking out the door and he's handing them all the art book that they bought and he signed them kind of in a back room. And when he gets to me, he doesn't have an art book. He just pulls out his business card and goes, Hi, I'm Tenjin. And they all got their signed books and he gives me a business card and they're all saying, Oh, Ina, like I envy you. And I was just like, Oh, oh, <laughs> uh, I know who you are. Thank you. And that had a Twitter account on it, so I followed him. And he was only tweeting in Japanese. So that led to he, finding out he had a personal interest in improving his English. And then from there, it just snowballed into uh, you know, calling me up and him asking me a question about certain things. And then so we had a very loose kind of budding, I guess, small friendship at the time just from passing. And... Eventually, he got invited to Otakon one year, <clears throat> and when he got invited, he contacted me to say, hey, um, can I meet you for a little bit? I want to tell you something. And he said, well, I got invited to Otakon, so I really like to be prepared. So I met with him for three months every day, of the, every Wednesday, got him prepped for Otakon, how to deal with um, you know, how different cons are in the States. He went. It was a success. It was a success. He came back. And he just said, let's continue doing this. And I was like, sure. And that just kind of led into um, him kind of asking us for help for something else. And then he eventually did the second Valkyries book. He kind of called us all up to do a brainstorming session to name the book. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we're just sitting there. Oh, uh, Valkyrie's second strike. Valkyrie's this. Valkyrie's that. <laughs> and then Second Swordy came out, and he liked it. So we got a thank you credit. Oh. And we're like, wow, that's really cool. And, you know, he sent us signed copies when the book came out. And like stuff like that would happen. We were we're at Mandarake in Nakano one time, and we saw this really, really rare Macross game. And Gwen bought it. He's like, "Dude, I've never seen. It. I'm going to buy it." And it was for the old Bandai system. Yeah, the Bandai Arcadia. Yeah. Oh, okay. MSX era. Yeah. I was going to say that, that's that's pre Pippin. Okay. I was going to say, was, yeah. it, was it a Pippin game I never heard of? Please continue. Yeah, I was going to say Pippin. I didn't know this thing existed. <laughs> yeah, it was like a hundred fifty bucks or something. Something like that. He just threw it down and. And I was like, wow, we didn't have the system to play it on. Yeah, still don't. (laughs) (laughs) And around that time, he was working on Macross 30. And so when they started working on it, they put a supplemental materials book about the history of Macross games. And in passing, I mentioned, oh, we found this game. So he contacts us again. He goes, can you give me a scan of the cover and all that? We want to put it in the booklet. So then we send him the scans. Those go in the booklet. We get another credit. Yeah. And we didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently that <laughs> box, like there's one ding in it, but apparently it was the best condition one they could find. So yeah, yeah we got the scan of that game box into that booklet. That they scanned the fun. cartridge too. Yeah. The cartridge yeah. Is in there. So I was like, okay. And it just kind of snowballed. And then um, when he did his third book, uh, Third Sortie, he wanted it bilingual. And the publisher here, which was Kobunsha, said, well, there's no market for us to put English in it. So if you want to fund it yourself, then we'll put it in there. So he paid us to translate to make the book bilingual. Yep. Yeah. And that was kind of our first working credit with him. And we started working with a lot of the toy companies as well. Like at the time, Yamato Toys, who then became Arcadia. Mm-hmm. We've worked with Sentinel Toys. And that was just kind of all fan you know, just knowing people, helping people out. Yeah, just helping where we could, basically. Right? Yeah. And about 2013, uh, this timeline's all kind of mixed up, but in 2013, a friend of ours named Peter Kim, who's from Korea originally, like he's got impeccable Japanese. He wanted to start a company, and I was out of a job. Gwen was working a full-time job. I didn't know what I was going to do. So we said, let's start a company. We did that. No, we were going to hit the toy market, try to do international marketing. Didn't really work out. And right when I was about to move back to the States, because I'm originally from Southern California, I was really thin times. Didn't know what was going on. Delta was just about to, the the end of the year preview showed at like 2015. End of 2015. Yeah, yeah. like New Year's Eve. Yep. Then in April, they showed the first episode, so... We thought we'd pitch them having subtitles. But when they announced the Blu-ray, they announced it as having subtitles. So we thought we missed it. Like, ah, they already thought of it. But Tenjin said, well, pitch your case. And he got us to sit down meeting with um, Bandai Visual at the time. Because now they're between that time, they became Bandai Namco Arts. And um, we sent in a um, sample of the preview ver- version of the episode with English subs. We had a meeting and we sat down to this meeting thinking, Oh, we got to really prove ourselves. And they just turned around and said, can you do this schedule? Does that work with you? Uh, yeah. Okay. You got it. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that we were just uh, three guys walked in, and the, the only instruction we were given is don't come in t-shirts and jeans. Yeah. <laughs> well, Japanese companies being Japanese companies, you know. Yeah, yeah so, it sounds like, like business culture from my mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. And that has just, again, it's gone from working with another entity that has a license with Macross, whether it's Bandai Visual, whether it's a toy company, whether it's a publisher, whether it's uh, not working directly with Kawamori, but working with Kawamori's assistant with the um, Kawamori Expo. Yeah. Yeah. We had, um, it was outside the company, but it's still the same members, basically. The entire expo was bilingual. Yeah. And so that, oh, wow. what, what year was that? Was it 2018? 2019. Yeah, so they had a dedicated expo to all his works. And they, they had everything up there from Omega Boost to Armored Core to Aquarian to his pitched but unused Cowboy Bebop designs. So oh, I have to check um, those out. Also, I, I, I they also had when, one, uh, actually. I remember when this happened, a bunch of English interviews with Kawamori were released on the internet. I pulled heavily from a lot of those for my history episode. Yeah, that was the, <laughs> the era, the full frontal quote yeah. of yeah. Uh, pirates. And but stuff. Uh, I mean, Adrian led a, a, press, a press group through the exhibit, right? On yeah, one of the so that was like my first in-person meeting with like Ollie Barter, because hmm. he was also on the, the press run. Yep. So it's basically me and him tag-teaming at, at Asking all the deep questions about this show and that show while all the other press members were just kind of there. Mm. I mean, they were anime fans, but they weren't asking the deep, deep, deep macro stuff. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So we were always working on projects that were never directly with Big West. And we finally had gotten introduced to Kai Onishi during Tamashi Nations because in Actually, five years ago, yesterday, was the Valkyrie Third Live concert, and the opening animation was directed by Tengen. And we also helped with that, providing like 3D, uh, 3D model elements, script writing, yep. providing voice actors. Voice actors yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to get to this really quick. <laughs> so without getting like who, who did what, but um, that was five years ago, yesterday, and... During Tamashii Nations, I think it was 20, 2019, that same year, mm. I happened to be in the press on press day, and Kaio Onishi was on the floor, and Tenjin said, now I will introduce you to Kaio Onishi. And, I want to mention who that is. For and that audience. is the president of Big West, right? Yeah. Onishi, Big West. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, she's very nice, very polite, and it was the whole, I gave her my business card, she gave me hers, and it was, what do we do with this? So this was right before 2020, going into the pandemic. And we sent like an email follow-up just saying, oh, you know, we'd really like to work on more stuff. We've done this for Bandai Visual. We can probably help you with this or that. And she said, yes, we'd love to have you come in. Then the pandemic hit. (laughs) And then in the middle of pandemic, uh, we got an email from uh, one of the producers at Big West, and they said, can you come in? We, we would like you to translate something. And we translated a project that never went out. And it was very small, right? And um, maybe it was a test case. We don't really know what happened with it. And so we always wondered, when's it going to go up? When's it going to go up? And it never went up. And then the second shutdown came through, and we just thought nothing was going to happen. And then we got into 2021, 
2021 comes around. We sent her an email. We're not getting a reply. April of 2021 comes around. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, and then the 9th of April comes around, and uh, the news hit about their, um, you know, their deal with Harmony Gold or whatever it was. And, P- peace is declared. Yeah. And we're just kind of thinking, uh, so now what? And I think everyone was thinking the same thing. So, like, what now? So I'm curious, when that happened, what were you guys thinking? I would throw this question to Coop. So PMC and I are new to the Macross world with Plus. We were, I as an outsider, but like knowledgeable about Mecca and Macross, was excited for, of course, potential future licensing agreements to bring over more Macross to the States. But I think Coop can give a more detailed impression. Yeah. So um, I was excited like the details of the deal are still a little shaky just from my understanding of it and what i've seen publicized but i was like super excited that there's the chance we're gonna get stuff over here like my brain instantly went so when's that macross 7 blu-ray with uh, english subtitles <laughs> so uh yeah just excited because after so long of just having like the bits and pieces here and only having to see fan subs, which reminds me a lot of my time in the Tokusatsu community. It's nice to know, okay, the the wheels are greased. Something's going to be happening here. And it might take a while as these things do, but hey, something's happening. So uh, we were not, a, we just didn't know what was going on. Uh, you know, we talked to a lot of the people on this side, like, Hey, and, some people said, yeah, we knew. We couldn't say anything. And others were like, yeah, we don't know what's going on. And the one thing about that press release is there's a bit where it says Macross is, is available for immediate release. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. But it did, it did say immediate release. And that made a lot of people think it was dropping like immediately the next <laughs> month. Yeah. So... We were getting pinged. What's going on? What's going on? Are you guys working on the new film? We know you guys did subs for this movie or Delta subs. And we're like, uh, no, no comment. We don't know anything. And it's COVID. And because of that, everything's shut down. No one's coming in and out of the country. Uh, so we use that as an uh, opportunity to write a full-fledged uh, proposal of what we're capable of doing. And we sent that off to our contacts at Big West. And we did get pulled into a meeting at the time, and it was with one of their higher-ranking producers who works on with um, Walkure, and he's on their weekly show. His name's Hatanaka, and you know he brought us on to do their social media stuff on a very low level, so just making sure birthday tweets are in English and stuff like that. Nothing grandiose. And then we started making suggestions for the YouTube channels, and that's when the Uta Macross uh, videos went <laughs> shared as global. And uh, a, a brief side note, if you haven't seen those videos, so Uta Macross is the most recent Macross video game. It's on mobile. It's a rhythm game, although there's at the moment 61 Valkyries in it as well. Uh, it started up in 2017, so this year it's going to be hitting its fifth anniversary, and that's longer, honestly, than I expected because most mobile games have a lifespan of two and a half to three years or so. So mm. the fandom's keeping it going, but uh, there's some really good viewer modes where they've got these pretty high quality for a mobile game um, models of all the, the singers in, in Macross, and they can mix and match them and throw some Valkyries in the background. 
and they're like, well, let's make some music videos out of these and um, intersperse them, intercut them with some of the uh, the anime, which is easier said than done since none of that anime has ever been subtitled before. Except for Delta. Except for <laughs> Delta. Thank you. And the first one they did was a Delta video. So using kind of Jedi mind trickery, we're like, well, since you have the subs that we worked on, well, let's let us make an SRT file and you just throw them in and they'll have subs. And they said, okay, we can do that. It's easy enough. And that first video had subs. Then a month later, the seven video is going to drop. And so <laughs> at that point, we're like, well, now we have to do seven to do subs for the first time. <laughs> so some bits of seven are finally translated for very short clips. So Coop, if you remember that opening spiel in Macro 7 that introduces you to the last 20-something years of history. Mm. That's not fun to write. <laughs> I can imagine. That's pretty dense. Yeah. yeah. So then on top of that, we, we're trying to think creatively, like constructively, like how do we like build ourselves better without saying we can do and not deliver something? Mm-hmm. So we just, from, the, from knowing Tenja for so long, he kind of taught us, like, you, you know, you build it and then you show them. You don't say you can do it. And wait for them to give you the okay. You know, I, that's not what he's saying to do in the case of everything, but he kind of sub it and they yeah. will come. Yeah. <laughs> so for for that seven installment, not only did we deliver them SRT with English subs, you know, we financed and found some. You know, we brought Renato back in the fold, and uh, we asked him to provide Spanish subs um, for the same dialogue. Because we needed to show Big West that there is a fandom in South America, in Brazil, in Chile, in Peru. Even though we didn't do it in Portuguese for Brazil, but we had to show them there is a following. And they responded. Yeah. And they came out in droves. Like the YouTube comments, they were just so happy. Yeah. And again, it it was we weren't in a position to tell them what to do. We just said, oh, by the way, here's an extra SRT. Just drop it in. So... That was the extent of what we were doing at the time. And around March, um, maybe some of you guys are familiar with this person. His name's Thomas Bateman. And he's formerly of Harmony Gold from the mm-hmm. 90s era up, up until just after Shadow Chronicles, I think. He worked on uh, Battlecry, right? Yeah. yeah. He's got credit of the Battlecry game, the Game Boy game. So he, he was working there. And uh, we're both from Southern California. And I actually started to get to know him around 2005 so i knew him around his last year last two years at harmony gold and since then me and him have been uh, fairly good friends so when all this news happened he was calling me weekly like what's going on what's going on uh you guys need to do something and we're like we're not in a position to um to make decisions to make decisions (laughs) we're not we're not in the position to pry that would make us look bad and, and I was on this same setup talking to him and I'm just getting an earful and I'm just kind of like, uh, what do you want? Like, what, what? There's nothing for, I can't do anything. And Gwen walks into the room and I'm like, okay, Tom. Okay, Tom. And he's like, oh, do something. Something's got to be done. You know, like they're saying the media. I'm like, I don't know. And I just, and because I'm from Southern California and uh, Stephen, similar to you, I used to work in a movie theater. Mm. I worked for, um, in the 90s, it was Edwards Cinema. Okay. And prior to, prior to that, it was Pacific Cinema. But now they're part of Regal. 
<clears throat> so, and I went all the way from sweeping floors all the way to running an art house theater in oh, very cool. um, Orange County, California. And I was really into film, especially being out in, in the 90s, like the, the, the good Miramax day years of uh, film with Tarantino and Hong Kong cinema. So I was really behind that kind of stuff. So I do have a background in film and moving prints. And I have dropped the film print myself. It wasn't Shrek 3, but I've done it. <laughs> what, uh, I actually had a dream about threading a movie projector the other night. What, do you remember what film you dropped? Uh, I don't remember what film I dropped. I just remember it luckily it was like on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. So, and it was before the first screening of something. Okay. But I, I think it was Lion King. That's how long ago it was. All right. I had a, it came in late and I was building it up so fast. I actually, on the build up table, I missed the, the inner spool and it was actually wrapped on the outside of the spool. So when it was getting built up, the entire one reel was entirely scratched. Ooh. Yeah. So we had to get a Lion King replacement reel <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> we had so many complaints and refunds, but uh, I think that's worse than dropping a print because. Yeah. I- yeah. I had to throw you under the bus, but I would say so. Yeah, on a Friday, opening day. <laughs> that was my, my worst my worst thing. But um, so, and I've been back, you know, obviously I go back and visit family and friends. And on two of my trips back in the last couple of years, I caught, not the recent one, but about six years ago, they did Transformers the movie mm. at Fathom, like Fathom Events. And I went to go see it at Universal City Walk in LA. And they gave out like posters and then in 2020, right before COVID, <clears throat> they did uh, John Carpenter's The Thing anniversary. And I caught that. And that was like on a Thursday. So as Tom was just yelling at me, like, oh, do something, do something, do something. Gwen walks in the room and I just said, enough. Stop telling me to do something. You do something. Get me on a call with Fathom Events. Till you do that, shut up. because i'm here there's the time difference and i'm like you're the one that's pushing you do something don't expect me to do it all and i think it's within three days Mm -hmm. i got a call and tom says we have a we have a zoom call with their marketing director of fathom fathom entertainment or fathom events and um now that we're caught up, I'll talk a little bit slower because I, I know we're trying to beat the clock. So, Don't worry. You uh, hit a lot of our questions. Yeah, so you've already answered worry. a bunch yeah. already that would have been asked. So, and, and better to do it you know, with the uh, way you presented it. So that is how it started. And that was the start of like a five-month journey. Yeah. Because that happened in March of 2021. Mm. Um, yeah. So is there any questions you want to ask before we go forward? Or? I actually want to ask one thing, because you're talking about the sure. community in um, the Macross community in Japan. I want to know what's your take on Macross's popularity, because as someone who exclusively looks at the Mecha community in the West, um, I, I think my perception's a little murky as to how popular macross is actually in japan i I would assume it's quite popular when i was doing some history research for the macross plus episode i discovered that macross ace was a thing clearly modeled after gundam ace but only nine issues were produced before it came to an end and i was wondering if this is indicative of the popularity at the time or currently do you want to start back in where do you want to start on that kind of question i mean i can well one 
Gwen and I have two totally different like um, views on the fandom. Yeah. Right. Because okay. we have totally two totally different types of experiences. A lot of times it's the same people, but um, we're as much as we're into Macross, he's interested in doing certain things regarding Macross and music because he's more into the voice actors and the singers. I, mm. uh, I mean, we both love the Mecca and stuff, but I dig more into not the old production materials, but just how anime is now. Because when I moved here, I was working for an animation school. So I have mm. a background in animation. So there's a lot of technical stuff I pick on that Gwen doesn't pick on, mm. uh, pick up on. And um, so a lot of times I'll veer off to a certain circle of fans and he veers off to another. And then we come back and say, well, they're similar, but different. Exchange notes. Yeah. Um, so I guess if I want to jump into this, then from my side of things, um, when I first got to Japan and this is around to give a very brief version of events, I was an ex my first visit here was in 93. Uh, and then I was an exchange student for a year in 2000 and then moved here permanently around 2002. Uh, so I've been here a little while and I went from seeing the release of Macross Zero where no one knew what it was. And you know, you could go into your local video rental shop because those were still a thing then and actually they still exist now, um, here at least. And that was the only way you could get your hands on it, really. Um, but I did have one experience where my boss at the time, his wife remembered who Fokker was. And the fact that Fokker was in Zero had her really interested in watching it, which was kind of cool. But going from that to the Frontier boom, um, Frontier is known to have brought a very heavy female contingent of fans into the franchise. To the point that um, a few years back on NHK, there was a Macross, um, the, the ultimate Macross poll where people around the country voted on their favorite Macrosses. And, and even on that, they said Frontier, which brought a lot of female fans into the fold. So it, it's kind of known as having done that. So my perception always was that from Frontier, we got far more females into it. But as with most anime, I find my knowledge and views from stuff before my time in Japan is tinted from what I could get through the filter of English-speaking news sites and fandom and magazines yeah. at the time. And going back into it, like even with um, Macro Zero, I talked to some fans here who went to talk shows when Macro Zero came out, and they said, yeah, um, they would have mostly girls in line for the talk shows because they all loved the voice actor, the male voice actor for Shin um, in Macro Zero. And then you go further back, and for other franchises from Yamato to the original Gundam, there is this almost... Recently, it's been coming to the surface, but almost a secret hidden history of how female fandom has kept anime afloat, mecha anime in particular, in Japan for many years. But uh, did you want to jump in, Adrian? Or? No, I was going to keep going. <laughs> keep going. No, I won't stop if I keep going. <laughs> uh, similar to Gwen, I, he's been here longer. I arrived in 2005, I think just after the last volume of Zero came out. Mm -hmm. But... At the time of Zero's release, there was two uh, fighter OVAs that were coming out, and that was Yukikaze and Zero. Oh, Yukikaze. So I came out when that last, everyone was waiting for that final episode of volume of Yukikaze. Mm -hmm. And that's how, because at the time, Tom Bateman was really like, I need that last volume, because he was, he was, they were on Shadow Chronicles or whatever. And the same studio was working on it from Korea. Uh, so, he was always like, Can you give me the last volume? I'm like, it's been delayed. It's been delayed. 
So that's when I got here. But my first experience was I ended up going to Wonder Festival for the first time. And at the time, they had a thing called the Macross Museum. And I went by myself. I didn't know who Gwen was. I didn't know who Renata was. I just, and I, I don't even think I was on the forums at that point. I was just, I went to an event I'd always heard about. And they had the Joy Sound um, sessions where for the fans, you can sing like two minutes of a song and then you raise your hand, get picked, sing again. So I'm just there by myself and I kind of just rose my hand. I got picked and I chose to uh, try again because. The only reason I know that song or can kind of somewhat fake sing it in Japanese is I played the hell out of P, uh, VFX1. On the PlayStation? On PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> um, back when PS1 was around. And a lot of people say it's a horrible game, but it has the Milky Dolls, so it's forgivable. <laughs> and, I, and I used to have the old bootleg SM... Uh, Fireball, <laughs> Macross <laughs> 7 bootleg CDs that I thought were legit because they had OBs back then. Oh, so yeah. I used to listen to Macross 7 in the car. So I was always mumbling Japanese so I can fake it. And I only have to sing like so many, like a minute and a half of the song. So I sang it and um, <clears throat> I felt embarrassed. I walked away and literally two guys walked up to me and they said, where are you from? America. Well, why do you like Macross? And the guy spoke English. It wasn't Japanese. And I was like, oh, I do. And he's like, oh, okay. All right. And they just kind of looked at me like, all right. Okay. Well, you know, we're kind of like the local group. So see you around. And every after that, every time I went somewhere, that group would come up to me and be like, how are you doing? How are you doing? I was like, oh, that's that's cool. And then I got to know their name and start talking to them and i was always standing around them not understanding them half the time just like well at least I have people to hang out with so i'd be like this loner foreign guy that was towering over them and just kind of like at least have people to hang out with and when i joined macross world in 2009 they had the launch ceremony and during the launch ceremony they had a stamp rally and if you bought the stamp rally card and went to a bunch of these shops and if you got all the stamps, you could turn in that and you would get a launch ceremony poster. And it was artwork of the SDF-1 by Tenjin and um, Cheryl and Ronka by Risa Bata. And then the middle one was Mikimoto Minmei. <clears throat> but it costs money to get the raffle ticket, do all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it takes all this time to go around and then go and turn it in just to get one poster. And I was dumb enough to go on Macross World and said, does anybody want me to run this like, gauntlet for you guys? And I had got like 30 requests. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So <laughs> I, I said, all right, I've got nothing else better to do. And I don't have any friends at that point. So I started doing it. And all my Japanese friends noticed. They're like, okay, all right. But the thing was, is they weren't interested in the poster because they all got theirs. But for the stamp rally, you have to go and try different types of like if you want you say you go to a restaurant to get one stamp but they have three different uh, themed ramen dishes yeah so the only way you can eat all three is if you try each one (laughs) so they saw what i was doing and they're like why are you buying these posters that said these are for the fans overseas so they go okay how about this if we can get your stamps we'll give you the posters so 
I got all the posters, but I haven't done all the work. And it was the Japanese fans mm. because they got what they wanted, which was all the local trying the, the sweets and everything that was, you know, like the, you know, salamander phone cupcake or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, they would get and I would give them the money to do it. And then at the end, they would just give me the poster. Very cool. Yeah. So that's and that's the old guard. Those, those are the fans that are our age because the frontier fans weren't necessarily chasing anything old school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But since then with frontier and Delta, that, that, that Delta young age group has now the drinking age. And there's a whole generation of frontier fans that are just going to anti sound clubs and, you know, there's, there's, a life. there's a reason there is now a full series of Macross Frontier Pachinko machines because the audience that grew up with it are old enough to play Pachinko. Yeah. And they throw in you know, a new Yoko Kano song or a little bit of new animation into it, and boom, people will go and put their money into those machines. So, yeah. But all generations are friendly. And going back to what you're saying with Macross Ace, because it was Macross. Yeah, Macross Ace was around, well, Macross Frontier. Sorry, right. Macross the first was its flagship title, right? Yeah, and that um, had a rather, how should we put it, checkered production mm. uh, history because to this day, yeah, to this day, it's never been finished. Um, okay. But I don't think it was ever supposed to run as long as Gundam Ace did. So there have been a number of something something Aces for various shows over the years. Most of them have been one, one shots. But I think this was more like a marketing tool, really, to get to bring the community together because there was letters pages and fan art and all that kind of thing, and you know, like insert posters by Mickey Model and things like that. But it was more just to ride that kind of frontier hype train around that period, which was still going. Because you also had around that time the Macross Chronicle coming out, which was a fifty-issue mm -hmm. collectible, you know, put them together yourself in a big series of binders kind of Bible for the series, which then they reissued in an 80 issue format. But around that time, print was really just making them a lot of money. So I think they, you know, they had the Macross plus manga running in Macross ACE. They had a, mm. a bunch of frontier gag manga and they managed to hit all those key demographics. I think the only thing that wasn't represented in it was really Macross seven. I think pretty much everything else got, got something or else in, in Macross ACE. So it was a good coming together point at this nexus where the old school fans were still young enough to enjoy something new and the new fans were coming into it and they could all sit down every other month and read that magazine. Oh. I mean, I think by this 11th volume, it got thinner and thinner and thinner. It's like eighth or ninth or something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, the, there's not very many series that can live as long as Gundam. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if it was a marketing, more of a marketing thing, like an actual legitimate. I don't know if it was indicative of the the fan base in Japan. But so, so much of this information is filtered through like one or two interviews that when I read that anecdote on a wiki, I was wondering. Um, yeah, I was wondering about it. Yeah, I, I really think it was more that they started it up and said, "Well, let's see how far we can take this." And they got to eight or nine issues, and were like, "Well, we can continue the manga in Tankobon form, published yeah. separately." Um, but, uh, you know, the hype's kind of died down a bit. And, you know, Macross is not as big as a Gundam, and very few things are. You know? Yeah. So where the publication had a decent lifespan and then it changed formats, and then Macross, the first, got turned in, like, Tonkoban releases, right? right? Got, like, two digital releases. So you'd see all this print print stuff would go down and, you know, it would eventually stop. 
but then put it this way like lion the song the opening song for frontier still charts and like the karaoke count like the yearly karaoke charts it still hits within the top three to this day so it may you may not see it in print you may not see it on store shelves but there's there's something of frontier that still gets talked about every year so the the popularity how do i put this all ties into how anime is monetized and marketed here Mm. Yeah, because you look at the most recent Delta movie, which I'm sorry, can't really talk much about because we don't want to give people spoilers until they've had a chance to see it. But, you know, um, I was talking to some fans on, on Twitter and the movie came out and one of them said, yeah, I've been to see it five times. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. And he said, on opening day. Wow. So wow. I was like, yeah. I was trying to think, well, he definitely went to Shinjuku because there's about three cinemas in close proximity where you wow. could uh, do that. But the fans just were going back again and again. And every time you went, you get a free postcard at random and people wanted to collect all these postcards. Wow. And ev- every week they swap them out for a new set mm-hmm. that you could get for free. And you look online and people are posting like a floor covered with like 20, 30, 40 of these postcards, you know, and swapping extras and putting together their favorite characters. And, um, the fans do come out to support their franchises and that's whether it's Macross, whether it's like Yamato Gundam or, or something much newer. And, um, that's just the, the way the, the fans really, they get the link between supporting what they like, regardless of not, regardless of whether or not it's hundred percent what they want mm-hmm. and that franchise still continuing. Yeah. That individual you're talking about tweeted mm-hmm. last week, mm-hmm. his final to- tally of postcards oh, was 125. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I think he'd have memorized the movie by this point. Yeah. And that's, uh, 1,800 yen per ticket times 125. And that is him refusing to even trade. Like, he wasn't even, like, skipping corners. Like, he wasn't trading to get the full set and he has to stop. He didn't stop until he organically got his full set. So next time you hear someone be like, well, why doesn't Anime X hit just streaming worldwide internationally? What's Japan thinking? This is why, because they need to get that money out of their core fans before they put it up on a Netflix or a Crunchyroll, because that is where so much of the money still comes from. Well, hopefully that answered that question. (laughs) Yeah, in a very good way. That's awesome. PMC had a um, community fandom related question, so I want to throw it to him real quick. Okay, so my you know my specialty is uh, I guess my my niche that I can most claim is the world of uh, video game speedrunning. Do I need to explain that before I continue? Nope. Okay. Nope. Good. Just making sure. Uh, and so I was curious uh, if you know if y'all ever had any interactions. I I think generally licensed games have less of a presence depending on the license of course i'm one of the moderators for gundam speedrunning uh on you know or, or what what there is of it and uh, as a result of now getting into macross stuff uh you know with, with giant robot fm just yesterday i played i played a macross game for the first time i played macross plus game edition which actually I had a lot of fun with and so i was just curious uh you y'all have already mentioned uh, i think a few games or that you own or play and or play. Mm-hmm. Um, have you had any run-ins with uh, with speedrunning in a Macross context? And also, just quickly, your favorite Macross games. All right, um, speedrunning. I've never come across anything. I mean, not for mecha games per se. Mm-hmm. Not in Japan. I mean, it's not something I've been looking at. Sure, for. sure, sure. Uh, I haven't seen anything for a Macross game on speedrunning. I have seen it for other mecha games. 
and other types of games like Resident Evil and stuff yeah, like sure, that. Because sure. there's, <clears throat> I watch a lot of YouTube, so a lot of times it'll just pop up and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And I finally got into Resident Evil games like three years ago. Kind of <laughs> late, but I did. No, the, but, the Resident Evil speedrun uh, community is uh, wonderful for sure. I can't imagine anyone speedrunning Macross 30 because there's so much to read. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah, I think traditionally, um, once we entered like the, especially the PS1 era, Macross games became a lot more. About, well, to an extent, in the PC Engine era as well, Macross games are a lot about telling uh, a, a separate or a new story. Like they were a really good way back in those days to bring a new new piece of content to the to the world building that might not have gotten the budget for an animated iteration right mm. so that's why you get you know the infamous aegis fokker in vfx 2 like is he roy's cousin son clone who is he no one knows but everyone wanted to know so they played the game and the game didn't tell them but um <laughs> but because they're so narrative driven they don't really lend themselves that well to speed running i mean how's how's your experience with uh, macros plus game edition Macross Plus Game Edition is interesting. I mean, I think you bring up an interesting point, which is that a lot of times people will look at a game and say, well, is this really going to be speedrunning oriented? A game like Macross Plus Game Edition, where it's a lot of the, uh, you know, the the clips from the film and OVA compressed onto a PS1 disc interspersed with these uh, 3D fighting battles uh, doesn't necessarily like jump out at you, but of course, what you're doing is you're, you're optimizing what you can. Which you know, in the in the case of Macross Plus Game Edition, is you know how can I maximize damage? How can I avoid uh, all of the context? Uh, there's Macross Plus Game Edition has a lot of um, kind of like I would almost call them like uh, like quick time events in order to do you know your Atano Circus sometimes you just get mm-hmm. an X prompt and you hit the X it's called DSS. I don't know what that stands for. I, I probably won't know, but I know that when you press the DSS prompt, when it comes up, you will do a melee attack or you'll evade or, or, or things like that. And so it's kind of one of those things where, uh, as a speedrunner, you know, how can I reduce cutscenes? How can I see fewer Atana circuses? Not usually a thing I say, and then how can I, uh, <laughs> and then, you know, how can I maximize the damage that I'm outputting, which is also, you know, firing missiles in such a way that my, my opponent, you know, whether that be Asamu or gold or whoever, you know, will, will do fewer dodges themselves. Um, so, I mean, the answer is like, it's, it's fun for me with speed running. Usually the ultimate answer is like, you're going to have the most fun speed running, whatever you like playing period. Like I, I want nothing to do with two D platformers forever for my whole life. You know, that's why I, you know, I'd rather play something like Macross Plus Game Edition, even if on its face it doesn't seem like an optimal speedrunning game. Well, to answer the second part of that question, I guess I've got two answers for it, which I'll be brief in. Personally, my favorite Macross game is Macross Thirty, just because it brings the entire, the bulk of the cast from all the series together. And it's got a wonderful amount of Valkyries you can fly, and you can do what modelers have been doing for years, which is take a VF1S with a one with a strike cannon, and then put another strike cannon onto it and have double strike can, cannons, which is basically means your Valkyrie can do a Kamehameha pretty much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you're native level two Japanese, <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's very narrative heavy, and there's a lot of menus, so it's a hard recommend, even though I like it. As far as something that's easier to get into. There were three uh, Macross games on the PSP by the same developers, Macross 30. So there was Macross Ace Frontier, Macross Ultimate Frontier, and Macross 
Triangle Frontier. Macross Ace Frontier and Ultimate Frontier follow the same development pattern that VFX 1 and VFX 2 had in that the first one almost feels like it's kind of unfinished. Macross Ultimate Frontier has everything in the kitchen sink. It is ridiculous. You can play pretty much anything you can think of. And there are some cutscenes, but all the storylines just follow the stories of their respective series. So you can just you know, skip through them. Uh, there's also an ad hoc co-op mode. You can play with someone else so you can get through missions quicker. Um, and just the amount of flexibility and variety is just a bunch of fun. Unfortunately, they're locked onto the PSP. Um, you know, I have played them on, you can get a TV output cable for the PSP, mm-hmm. so you can play it, play it at that same resolution on a very large screen, which has its drawbacks. But um, yeah, look that up. You can get that game for maybe 10 bucks at okay. this point in time. That's yeah, not, that's so. not, for physical media in the year 2022, that's not bad at all. Yeah, um, games for me is PS1, VFX1, didn't finish VFX2, <laughs> gave up on it, gave up on M3, but I downloaded it through the IRC, like GD-ROMs back in the day mm-hmm. for my Dreamcast. Uh, GD-ROMs, the most copyable media <laughs> yeah, yeah. ever put on <laughs> um, for a video game. <laughs> and I got a copy of, we all got copies of Macross 30. He played it, I just put it on the shelf because <laughs> we got the thank you credit uh, and watched him play. And um, uh, the only other game I play is Uta Macross. And I haven't even played that in over a year. I just haven't had time. But, I mean, that's a fun enough game if you like Macross music and yeah. you want to mess around with rhythm games. But it's not. There's mecha in it, but there's no mecha-heavy things. Mm-hmm. Except for one year they did a, for April Fool's, they put a side-scroller in for yeah. like a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They do some really cool April Fool's stuff yeah. with that. So. Yeah, as far as games, that's pretty much where it's at. No, I, I mean I appreciate it too. I mean, some of these games I already heard of. Actually, I think uh, Coop and I were discussing the the PSP uh, games just the other day because uh, we were talking about Art Dink, the uh, you know the developer who's been around yep. around forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then also M3 has come up on my radar a few times as well because PS1 Dreamcast tends to be my my wheelhouse to be the kind of games that I want to play. You know, again, I'm I'm a huge Armored Core guy from that era. So, you know, that kind of stuff is definitely interesting to me. And because I'm literate in those games, it matters less that I can't read half the text. I'm, well, if, I'm in a... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, if you want the most faithful game, uh, go for the PlayStation 2 Macross game by AM2 out of Sega. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. You can pick either the TV story or the Do Remember Love story and... It controls a lot slower and different if you're used to Art Dink titles, but uh, they really capture the story of it and all those glorious, chunky PS2 polygons. Mm. Cooper, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm interested to see if you do get around to playing uh, Delta Scramble, uh, also another Art Dink game, because I had some fun with that, and then it's like, oh, I'm going to play through these missions, and this is cool and all, and then uh, I, I think I got really busy with working like... The Vita turned my Vita turret TV turned into a dust collector for a bit there. <laughs> Didn't everyone's <laughs> a little bit? What? I will say I have set all my all my armored core uh, speedrun records were set using uh, a PS TV, so it, I I got some nice. use out of it. Okay, <laughs> nice. That cost an arm and a leg now, right? Now it does. Uh, I got it for like eighty bucks with a PS3 controller when I bought it. It was a great deal. So I got it for twenty five at a second hand cool. store, I'm and then beat. when I was moving, I uh, sold it for way more because I needed to needed the money. Um, 
But I was this this works well into a question I have because um, you know being a speedrunner, emulators are a big thing, uh, part of what you do. And I know Adrian's a big fan of emulators, a, a specific <laughs> emulator, um, long I, hair emulator. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I got to ask uh, because I for years, and if I'm correct, um, you've been known as the world's number one Macross two fan. And, Here we go. And I got to know, what makes <laughs> Macross 2 work so much for you? Was it like the original release on um, DVD back in the States for the movie? Because I, or uh, stuff with friends, because for me, like, uh, it didn't qu- it didn't work for me, but I've, I kind of want to go back to it, especially hearing about how much you guys love it, and also your experiences hanging out with Takiyama-san, who played Hibiki in it. Um, he sounds really cool and interesting. It's taking me back. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to keep it short, but call me back when you do the Macross 2 episode. <laughs> uh, okay, just to be really, really quick. My first anime convention, if you want to call it an anime convention, was Robocon 10, which was also put on by Tom and Dennis Bateman. And that was you know back in the 80s. And that was my first con where I went specifically because I was a Robotech fan. And when I was there, I bought a bunch of Macross import books because that's mainly what they had because I already owned Art 1 and that was all there was to buy. <clears throat> then my first real anime con was a convention at the Red Lion Hotel in San Jose. And at the time, it was called Anime Con. And I went there and that was the first and last anime con. And then it became Anime Expo. Ah, And both years, Mikimoto was a guest. So... I was still kind of, under, especially in 1992, all I really had a connection to was uh, Robotech from growing up, growing up with it. So meeting Mikimoto, I'm, I have Robotech in my, my head. Like, every reference is going to be that to his interpreter. So I went there, and in 92, I think it was Anime Age had it announced that there was going to be a sequel, finally a sequel to Macross 2. And U.S. Renditions was kind of the first company to where everything now they keep saying, oh, simulcast the new anime. So it drops in Japan on, you know, midnight here, three hours later, it goes up on Crunchyroll. Well, for Macross 2, it was the kind of the, one of the first, from, as far as I know, it was in production in Japan, and they were lining up the release for the U.S. in tandem, right? So when I went to AX, the first AX, which was uh, 1992, they premiered the raw episode of the first installment of Macross 2. Wow. And Mikimoto was there as a guest. And, you know, I went there, sat in, and it wasn't even like a convention. It was in a hotel, so it was just in a like a made-up wedding reception hall to fit maybe 80, 100 people, 200. And once I saw that opening, man, and that hearing the song, I was, I was, I was, I was good to go. I was like, this is amazing. I can't wait till it gets crazy. And I couldn't understand anything, but visually, I was just great. And there was other local events in L.A. because U.S. Renditions was based out of Carson in L.A. And there was a... Uh, Japanese bookstore called Books Nippon that was behind the promotions. So I lived through the whole promotional period of Orga Zero Two, the first Gunbuster release, Macross Two, 
um, Dongayo. So at the time, those were the prime releases, right? ADV wasn't really, hadn't really surfaced yet. They were kind of upstarting. There was other titles, mostly all the titles I had really wanted to watch were just fan subs at the time. Those were the actual first ones you could buy outside of buying a Laserdisc for 80 bucks that I couldn't afford that had no subs. Mm. So, yeah, I was in from the start. And then when the next volume came out, I was like, oh, this is great. And then when the next volume came out, I was like, where are they going with this? And then when the next volume came out, I... Yeah, I was kind of like, I don't know. And then the movie edition came out, which they actually made a 35mm uh, print for Macross 2, and they showed it across the country because I believe there's one print. So it kind of did this tour to like 15 different theaters across the country. And I caught it in Santa Monica. And that's actually how I finished it, is by watching it as the movie edition, not knowing that, it wasn't a movie edition. It was just a 35 millimeter cut of the episodes back to back with title cards. And I was like, okay. And I got to the end. And when I got to the end, I was like yawning and like, Oh man, this movie's long. <laughs> <laughs> and the Bandai kit came out for the VF2 SS. And I think it was more of a thing of falling in love with the VF2 SS. Mm. And that's always kind of kept me going. And because of that, I've always kind of championed it. Mm. It has its flaws, but um, it's, I don't know, it's part of the Macross history. It's the first title that actually made it overseas through official channels. Things kind of didn't go the way they should have, but... I mean, it had an American-made yeah. comic book, which is... Uh, yeah, Viz. Viz yeah. made an original comic book. Mm-hmm. And um, I think... I'm sure it, that stood the test of time. Oh, God. <laughs> Hibiki cosplaying as Sailor Moon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but come full circle regardless of it has been made official as of last September mm-hmm. announced in Continue Magazine Volume 73 I believe it is now officially back in the timeline not as an entity as far as because it's in the timeline as a property of Big West but the new Macross timeline now ends at 2092 yeah mm-hmm. yeah and it's been included in a bunch of exhibits, right, that were happening in the, the years leading up to Corona hitting, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, to give you a short answer, for me, I, I feel that, you know, I have a nostalgic connection to Macross too, but I always feel it's this show where its parts are better than the sum of it. Mm-hmm. So there are nuggets of things I love. Now. I love Mickey Model's character designs mm-hmm. in it, and I love the movie. Uh, I love the music. And I know you guys talk, have spoken a, a lot in connection to Macross Plus being almost like a a pseudo version of, of Bebop, right? A lot of that mm. talent getting their first try. Well, um, Shiro Sagisu, who did the Evangelion soundtrack, did the OST for Macross too. So, and and then I think he went and did like you know Godzilla, and mm. so a lot of the background music in it has these core musical elements, which I really hear repeated a lot throughout Evangelion. So in that respect, it's really interesting. But I also think the actual pop in Macross 2 is really interesting as well, because while Macross, outside of Macross 2, always tries to capture some musical trend of the era or project into the future what musical trends will be, 2 was just like, we're going to make some cool J-pop. And it kind of worked. It was, it's just, I find its vocal tracks really stand the test of time. Yeah. 
And then two things, <laughs> just two things to lead back into plus. Mm. One, uh, Yamazaki, I believe, the voice of Isamu, played an uncredited voice role in Macross 2. Hmm. <laughs> the, uh, he says he doesn't remember what credit it was or what character, but he played like some bridge operator. <laughs> and this one's just a far stretch, but Macross Plus, you know, they have Brian Cranston as the voice of Isamu who later was in Breaking Bad, won Academy Award, all that kind of stuff, who went on to play Trumbull, Trumbull in the movie Trumbull, who is the screenwriter, who was this, he was playing, his role was playing the screenwriter of Roman Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And it all comes back. Time's a flat circle. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I saw that, that Trumbull on... wrote Roman Holiday. <clears throat> yep. I saw that on a flight back home because I don't believe it came out here in theaters. So I saw it and I just like, oh, a Cranston movie. I watched it. I was like, oh, my God, it's about Roman Holiday. This is amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, you, you watched Trumbo on the flight home, not Roman Holiday, correct? I <laughs> actually saw wild. that movie. <laughs> that would be wild if Roman Holiday was playing on the plane. No, it wasn't. But it's on Japanese TV religiously. Uh, mm-hmm. Audrey Hepburn is like such an icon here for every generation. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. Breakfast at Tiffany's is always on. No. Roman Holiday, a bunch of her other movies. Mm-hmm. That never, and Back I to never, the Future is always on a big deal. Yeah. Really interesting. Because, of course, th- this is my perspective is filtered through the West and what, we, like, what we're alerted to in interviews and through social media. But like, I know Columbo's huge in Japan, or at least was huge. Twin Peaks, of course, is huge in Japan. But that, that, those are the two big shows that I know of. I didn't know what other properties made in America really resonated over there. In 2005, it was all about 24. Oh, yeah. All you really? hear was that mm. stupid dude, dude. <laughs> <laughs> a counter. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I remember oh. those uh, DVD commercials where they're like, Oiwa Chakupawa. I heard a lot of those back in the day, too. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's certain movies that are, that are interestingly good. And one of the things I ran away from when I moved here, um, was like yeah i was an 80s kid but i grew up and watched still watched a lot of animation in the 90s like uh batman animated beast uh, transformers beast wars and like shows like i I watched small wonder on occasion and stuff like that but the one show i could not get into was full house and i just couldn't no matter (laughs) what i've heard full house is huge there too yeah i moved here nope you can't get away from (laughs) i thought i got away from Full House, and I—that was totally wrong. Was uh, Bob Saget's death publicized, like in Japanese press? Like, was it a big deal in Japan? I'm sure it was in, um, like, it was probably entertainment news. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Mm. it wouldn't have made like the regular TV news, I don't think. Yeah. So yeah, not to mention, like, we don't really watch regular TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless there's a national emergency on or something. Which yeah, case, yeah, yeah. So. Um, so I guess back to plus, cause at this point, like I mentioned, Tom Bateman got us on a call and so I got on the call, Tom arranged it and it was with Brian from Fathom Events and, you know, he's marketing manager over there. And let me make sure I got that credit right. I was going to say, not Brian Cranston, right? You said Brian. Like, hey, <laughs> no, no, Brian no, 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 no. Yeah. He's just hanging out there in the <laughs> office, you know, <laughs> This, 
So, and we're on a call, and we introduce ourselves as we, you know, we're currently working with their social, Big West on their social media, and we wanted to use it as an opportunity to kind of, you know, t- tag team or do a collaboration to pitch the idea of bringing a Macross film to Fathom Events. Mm. At that point in time, we had no idea which one. And a, the email came back and like, oh, yes, we'd love to talk to you. Tom set it up. We got on there. And as we're talking, you know, we're explaining all our history, everything. And um, when they announced the whole thing in April, they also had put out this Big West put out a link to a Google Doc for B2B inquiries. So during the conversation, I was like, oh, yeah, there was a B2B thing. And they said, yeah, we had sent an inquiry. And I thought at that very second, I'm like, oh, we're too late again because they already inquired. And he said, oh, we haven't heard anything back. I'm like, okay. So, yeah, I'm like, well, you guys are already kind of halfway there, I guess. So what is it? Oh, if you don't mind me asking, what is it you're interested in? And they said, oh, the new Delta movie. Like, the movie's not even finished. Like there is no movie to ask for. That's probably why they didn't reply back to you or they're really busy because they're working on a new movie. So I countered with, why don't we make a pitch for the back library? Hmm. Right? Like let's get a title that's available. Cause if they're working on a movie and they're so busy, they're not going to have time to negotiate the new movie. Hmm. And we haven't heard anything from Bandai Namco arts about subtitling the movie at the time. So we didn't know what was going on either. So he said, yeah, let's put stuff together. And that led to a couple more calls, which led to brainstorming. And we put a bunch of information together on our side because the best thing that was going to work in our favor was to make a presentation Big West would be familiar with and not just some Western idea. Mm-hmm. And back in 2013, Big West had went and took all their Blu-ray titles and showed them in theaters. So we saw Front St- uh, Frontier Shooty Star version in the theaters, which was originally just a Blu-ray special release, uh, parts one and two. They showed Plus. They even showed, they did an all-nighter of Macross 2 in mm. theaters, right? In pouring rain. Pouring rain theaters <laughs> on my birthday. <laughs> Turned out to be on my birthday. Uh, we went there from midnight all the way to four in the morning. And it was the, because the original, that 35 millimeter print that I saw in Santa Monica and that made the rounds in America, that only had the intro at the beginning. And then it was just the title cards and then the movie ends, right? Mm -hmm. This time I got to see the intro six times on the big screen (laughs) in one evening and that made it worth it. And yeah, (laughs) it was a full house, but it was quiet. (laughs) It was pretty, there was like no no big cheers or reactions, but so we use that as kind of the pitch. So I give, so I went, I did all this information digging old websites and taking all the dates and stuff when it happened, which theaters in Japan. And I give it all to Gwen. I said, okay, now put this in a Japanese proposal. Gwen, <laughs> Enter 10 years plus of working for Japanese companies. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, there's not really much I can do with that. So it's like, yeah, I've made a document. Um, and we, you know, we refined it, honed it. Um, and 
you know, Japanese business tends to approach things differently. I mean, I won't get into it because that's an entirely another series of podcasts, but (laughs) there's a certain density to Japanese business presentations that they want. Um, And whereas in the West, you know, PowerPoints and whatnot are are more like an indicator of what you're about to talk about. In Japan, they want every single word, graphic, chart, figure on that slide to prove you've you've done your work. So a lot of Western proposals I see for stuff in other jobs I've worked just don't make it past lower level approvals because they they look like the person hasn't done their work. So formatting things into a visual language that businesses understand here is an important part of like working at a company. And so, yeah, I took all the stuff Adrian had and we threw it into a document and, and refined it and then he, uh, he sent it back. It was a craft. <laughs> like, like he spun like spun gold kind of thing, like <laughs> cotton into gold. Like there is a you don't just make a document and send it. It's there is a method to the madness, and I've seen him do it for his other work, um, in passing. And it's nothing I could figure out. There is a, a way you have to present stuff, um, where like in the states you would give them all these graphs and you know percentages and stuff. It's not the same. It's a totally different type of style. So he crafted this thing and gives it back to us. And then we have Peter, our third member, go and make sure that the Japanese is native as possible. And we send it through. And But we give it back to Fathom. And then Fathom sends it because we're the small fish in this pond. <laughs> <laughs> so Fathom. So we write it for Fathom. We're mentioned in it, but it's mainly Fathom's pitch. Mm-hmm. And they send it through, takes a little bit, and they eventually get back to us. And, um, well, they get back to Fathom, and they said they're kind of, what is this? What is it you guys want to do? Maybe something can be done. And we we're trying to figure out, well, what do we start with? And, you know, I initially was thinking Frontier Movies, Frontier Movies. Mm-hmm. And... But thinking about it, well, what if it doesn't sell? Then that's Frontier Movie 1, and we never get to the second one. That's mm. not good. And there's only one Delta movie. Um, the Macross 7 movie really isn't a movie, so that's not an option. Uh, no way is it going to be FB7. <laughs> and at the time, it was like, I think Plus would be the perfect one to go for marketing-wise for two reasons. Uh, obviously... When this was all going on, the theaters were closed because we're talking, this is April. Theaters haven't reopened. Uh, mostly things were shut down. So Fathom didn't even know if, when this could happen. They were saying, well, this might not be 2022, but let's keep the ball rolling. And there was this other movie that was slated to be released in November of 2021, which would have been the perfect marketing tool to get the trailers out by. And that was Maverick Top Gun. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> so we set our sights to get the trailer announced and out by Maverick. And that really helped because that finally kind of gave us a timeline. Like, okay, we got to hit with, we got to get the trailer out before, while people after Maverick's release so that they see this trailer while they're waiting for Maverick to start. And that was how we kind of pitched it and was decided on plus. Um, Big West signed off as far as, okay, let's talk about that. That whole conversation is internal between 
Big West and Fathom Events as far as, you know, them working out all those details. Once that was worked out, we're back, we were brought back into the fold because now we have to market it. How are we going to do that? And so we start reaching out to, um, you know, conventions to do cross promotions and social media pushes. But it was very hard because, you know, the negotiations are still going on, but we got to make movement. But we don't know if the theaters are going to be open. So it's very hard to talk to cons and and potential marketing partners to say, well, there's this movie that might come out. Maybe. <laughs> so can you help? And it's dealing with a popular Mecha Space franchise. Okay. When's it going to come out? I, no, well, it might be this day. We don't really know. So we had a lot of calls going back and forth with people to help with marketing. And a lot of them really got behind it. A lot of the cons did. Otacon, yeah. Anime LA. The support was great. Yeah. And um, so they were ready to go. But it was unfortunate because we probably could have got more. But because we had so spotty information and no real dates to give them, you know, we couldn't, they couldn't help but not be there. But as we got closer, things were looking brighter. And as we got around to October, the first trailer got done early. So we were sitting on the trailer and we were wondering, like, what can we do? So we were able to work um, out an agreement. And Fathom had asked if they could show the trailer at a Super Dimension Convention in Torrance, California. Hang on. Mm-hmm. I think it was October 23rd. So they showed the trailer, like typical con announcement kind of thing. But it's a small con. It's just Macross-centric. And it was like the first one after lockdown opened up. So they showed the trailer and said, hey, everyone, go on Twitter. It's been announced. And Fathom made the first announcement. And that's... Um, and then that was going for about a week and a half and then the trailer dropped online and tickets went on sale like November 11th. So tickets went on sale, the, uh, you know, social media presence was there. Everyone was kind of commenting and it was looking good because we we're getting a lot. Obviously we were looking at Twitter like 24 hours a day <laughs> and we we're happy to see a lot of people going, oh, I can't wait to see this, I can't wait to see this, or people saying, oh, social distancing, I'm not going to go risk you know, risk my health to go see this. So it's kind of like, oh, man, if it wasn't this time of year, what's going on, you know, it would probably be massive. And But one of the things we noticed was there was a lot of younger fans saying, if I go and watch this, can I understand Macross because I never watched it? Most people that replied to them said, you don't need to know anything it's a side story. You can go in, and by the end, if you like that, you can decide from there whether you want to check out, you know, Seven at some point, or Frontier, or Zero. Like some, so there's for yeah for plus outside of Moe factor, mm-hmm. there's something for everybody as far as just entertainment, and that gives people the ability to go and try to go and watch Macross and see if they like the different installments i don't think across the board they'll like it but i think it'll open it up and we were hoping that was going to be the case and and we got into the first week of sales things are good then we were partnering with anime nyc anime nyc and bandai did a fairly large promotion 
with um, the 29, like across the big billboard of a booth and showing the trailer. Like Anime NYC went above and beyond. They were actually going to do so much more, but there was no time. Mm. Like, because right when Anime NYC was coming, that was two weeks before the new Delta movie hit. So Big West is just not available to work anything out. So, yeah, those first three weeks were great. The Cowboy Bebop Netflix show dropped, and I was like, perfect timing. We lost... Obviously, we lost uh, Maverick because that got pushed to this year. <laughs> Plot twist. And we were falling. <laughs> yeah. Maverick got pushed back to next year. So then we're like, oh, we have to rely on both. I think it was uh, Matrix and Ghostbusters to carry the weight. For the trailer, right? For the trailer. Well, at least Ghostbusters is nostalgic enough. So hopefully that'll help. And then after those three weeks, going into the, the very final week, that weekend... You know, everyone's worried about sales. And we're just like, okay, well, hopefully things will go good between now, this Friday, and the Tuesday screening. That Saturday, Cowboy Bebop got can- season two got canceled on Netflix. <laughs> right? So all the news is just how Cowboy Bebop got canceled. And, oh, it was a horrible show. And I'm like, oh, God. This is not what I want to hear. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, whether I like the show or not, and I only got through one episode, it was, it was kind of like, yeah, it's really good that there's a Watanabe Yokokano thing going, so this might make people want to go see Plus. That's never seen it. But then all the press is negative. Sunday morning hits, and that's, um, uh, man, Sunday morning hits, and the news of Nobomoto's passing hits. And I was just like, this can't get any worse. And because I believe she passed away December 5th, but it went public that weekend. That weekend. Yeah. And then everyone's talking about it. And I saw that as just like, this is horrible. I don't want to even, I, I don't want to see next week. It's just bad. Just not what, this is not how it should have been. It was bad enough as Top Gun is this. Bebop gets canceled. This happens. It's like, it's not going to be good. So come Tuesday, I was expecting the worst and the movie rolls and I'm checking New York time, you know, Eastern checking tweets, seeing some people had issues with the movie, not starting the wrong movie starting. And I'm just like, Oh God, Oh God. But most then after a two hour period, people get out of the movie and all the feedback is pretty good. And I was on the phone all day just watching Twitter all the way from all the way until Hawaii saw it, you know. And as far as the Internet, everyone was pretty happy with the exception of some theaters screwing something up or another or distribution problems. And a lot of people were also that prior weekend from that Sunday to that Tuesday. There was a lot of people saying, now you have to see the movie because of the passing of Nobomoto. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that's the reason to see it, but that's how things planned out, like played yeah, out. Yeah. So we're on. We felt we were thin ice. We're like, okay, everything's probably a failure. Then the following day, we get the mail from Fathom, and they said, um, ticket sales were okay, but people showed up on the day. Box office sales were good. Nice. And they gave us a couple numbers. And then those numbers for a Tuesday screening 
based on that, they were happy. Awesome. So we're like, oh, <laughs> like just, uh, um, did I miss anything? <laughs> I think, I think you picked up things I hadn't heard. But I think I'm more stressed now. Was, than what who, actually did, who actually did get to see the cinema of you guys? I, funny enough, myself was, I was introduced to Matt Cross properly <laughs> with the theatrical release because I was there on that Tuesday um, a smaller crowd, I will say, but there was no technical issues. No one dropped a metaphorical print. The, it looked pristine on the screen. And I will say, Mecha fans tend to turn out for this kind of stuff. Like they might not go, they might see, they might go to the movies once or twice over the course of the year. But if Fathom is doing like Shars Counterattack or, of course, Macross Plus, they'll be there, and they'll be enthusiastic online about it. Yeah, the I think there was 740 theaters nationwide that showed it. And considering a lot of people didn't want to go out because of the, the uh, circumstances with COVID, the turnout was good enough. I mean, even if I know you, I think you said you went to a theater with like three or four people aside mm-hmm. from you. Yeah, that was the case with some other people we knew, mm-hmm. like seven, ten. But then we also know of like in L.A. because there's a larger concentration of people in certain areas. Um I think it was Glendale or Burbank was sold out. City Walk was sold wow. out. Awesome. Um, theaters in Orange County were fairly full. And yeah, I was checking other theaters. I checked all my the theaters I previously worked at. Just to be like, oh, no, they're <laughs> showing it. Oh, they are. Uh, to so, be fair, okay. the theater I worked at where I dropped Shrek 3, they were not playing it. They usually don't play Fathom stuff, but a theater nearby did. We live, PMC and I live uh, in the suburbs close to Philly, so not the most densely urban environment. So I'm not too surprised there's only a handful of people. I imagine getting closer to the city, um, the I'm sure the, th- the theaters are more packed. So since then, we've been pretty busy. And again, we haven't done the podcast and stuff, but I'm always, I was always looking at tweets for plus just up for weeks on end like okay anybody's still talking about it so then i came across about a month ago the dude you remember love covering the movie and i was like oh i should probably listen to it because uh, maybe they'll say it was really bad uh maybe their screening was messed up and i listened to the entire podcast and i heard about your experience and i remember you mentioning how you saw the right stuff logo and um when you saw that, like, can you like re-explain what you saw? Because there was kind of like a pre-show before the before it started. Oh, for me, yeah. yeah. So at the beginning, there was the interview with Kawamori. I didn't catch. I only remembered the right stuff logo because Coop brought it up. But I was more curious and fixated and interested in the Kawamori interview that was about. I want to say it was like between five and ten minutes long and there's also a retrospective of macross leading up to of course the film premiering which was which is very enlightening for me having not too much macross history experience under my belt i was Mm. excited that you got to see that because that was the first time i saw that was the uh galactic launch ceremony with kayo nishi coming up and saying hey here all the macross songs are going to be here on streaming services, and there was an English translation for the first half of it. I'm glad you got to see that, though, because that's a really good laying out for um, people new to the series. We'll get to we'll get to those in a second. <laughs> oh, do we have to? <laughs> yeah. So the reason I was asking, and the reason mm-hmm. when I so I was listening to that podcast, I was like, okay, cool. He went to see it, and there was a mentioning of right stuff, 
And a little bit of like, oh, well, if right stuff was just kind of mentioned, that kind of gives you an idea who's going to be who's behind this. Mm-hmm. And I was immediately like, no, 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 no. We got we got to set the record straight. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I immediately messaged you guys like, hey, <laughs> because um, <laughs> the reason there was advertisements is because there was a, there's like a partner trade, you know, mm-hmm. for a social media push. And their Fathom does a thing called the pre-show for their Fathom Entertainment releases. So whether it's the Ghibli Fest or they're showing Charles Counterattack, whatever they have in line that's a Fathom event, they'll usually show those trailers leading up to the main feature. Mm. But they also give you some time to, you know, personalize it. So for the content trade, we gave you know Anime NYC a slide, we gave Anime LA a slide. Everyone that participated. Also, um, in the beginning, uh, Fathom <clears throat> asked for us to work with Right Stuff because they've worked with Right Stuff before and they see it as like they've, they've helped us on this. We'd like them involved. And so from what we know, they're working with the social media push. Gotcha. Yeah. So they got a slide as well. And if we had a logo, we probably would have got a slide, but we don't have a logo for the company. Yeah. <laughs> Not that anybody would have recognized it, but that those slides are to show like, you know, it's, it's the, the trade to actually help with the push and get their branding out there before the main feature. Cool. Yeah. And they did a lot. They, they did a lot. I mean, they mm. did, uh, they did a blog post about it. They put it on Schultz media, like everyone else. So it helped. like, we really, yeah, their database of you know newsletter really did a bang up job. Mm. But the people behind this release was solely, as far as the film goes, Creative Sphere, Fathom Entertainment, or sorry, I say Fathom Entertainment, Creative Sphere, Fathom Events, distributed by Big West. And uh, I guess to put some context into that, the I think one of the important reasons for kind of clarifying, while it may seem like a relatively minor thing, guys. For a franchise, especially such as Macross, where there's not that much information out there in English, mm. it takes you know one small you know, misconception or off-the-cuff comment to then reside in the fandom's collective memory for the next two decades as fact. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Witness, for example, as Coop mentioned, you know um, there was the galactic launch ceremony November 20, where they announced Macross is going global. Uh, that was what, six months after the, the initial press release back in April that, that Macross was being freed up. Um, and pretty much, you know, all Macross music from Flashback onwards, from 992 mm-hmm. onwards, um, was made, went international. Like, a switch was pulled, it went out there. And yet for 20 years, all I've heard is people mentioning some random comment that was at some convention that apparently – the Macross 7 music rights are this huge issue that hold it up in the West. And it's like, that never made sense to me because mm-hmm. AKB 0048 came out in the West and that is a show completely based around the girls of AKB 0048. Their music is far bigger <laughs> and mm-hmm. would have been far more expensive, but it obviously wasn't an issue. So why would you know, the Macross 7 rights be? So just as someone who's kind of worked in licensing, not that particular industry, but in licensing and knows how the industry kind of works, that rumor has never made sense to me, and I've heard it at panels. I've heard it reiterated by people in a professional capacity. And all anyone can tell me is they heard someone from – I've heard it attributed to Manga Entertainment back in the day or a variety of different panels from the mid-90s. But no one can tell me who said it or where it came from. 
Um, but everyone just reiterated it over and over. And yet, again, when things freed up, flip of a switch, all the Firebomber music's out there for everyone to enjoy. But none of the people who've been keeping that urban legend alive for 20 years have gotten up on their social media platforms and said, oh, sorry, we must have been wrong. Because no one wants to admit that, you know. So nipping these things in the bud can can often be the best, you know, method in as friendly a way as we can. You know, yeah. Come on and explain. Oh, the definitely. Now that's that's much appreciated. Having done many history episodes on numerous shows, misinformation tends to run rampant, and when that misinformation is like gets seeded into the minds of, or the collective unconscious, it, it's tar- it's tough to get that out because those those rumors have been spread for so long. People take it as fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm happy you guys clarified that. Because even some uh, people I know who do professional localization and translation work had told me about that too. And I'm and I've said stuff like that on our show. But I'm glad. I'm very glad you guys set the record straight on that. Thank you. Yeah, there was um, during the lead up because usually you would have a, a screener to give out to press to review the movie. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't the case because you know, we're getting everything, the assets directly from Big West. Mm-hmm. So there was no, there's no screener disc. It is a conversion of the highest quality on file sent to somebody. And obviously they're not going to send that file to somebody in the media mm-hmm. because it's not a product. It's just a screening. So we did get like a media contact for like anime media who that came across my desk saying, Oh, can we get a screener? And I was like, Oh, well, it's, oh, it's too late. There's nothing we can do about that. But I noticed in the CCs, they also requested that to someone in Funimation. And I'm like, what do they have to do with this? <laughs> because um, as far as the industry, a lot of people believe that the Funimation deal with Harmony Gold has something to do with Big West. And hmm. uh, we don't, we, we're not in the position to to say all we can say is in our venture it had nothing to do with either party so yeah no. again it just people presume and it becomes fact right yeah mm-hmm. and a lot of the things we're dealing with now going forward is we're talking to lots of uh potential business partners that the first thing they say is oh isn't everything already in the spoken for and we have to again make those corrections so. Yeah. Yeah. so unless there's anything else you want you want to bring up immediately, Adrian, I was going to say, given that we're on the clock, I want to turn back around and see if the guys who actually own this podcast have any more questions <laughs> on that list that you wanted to run by us. Uh, oh, yeah. I think Coop had some movie edition specific questions. If we run a little longer, that's not a problem. But Coop, you want to jump in here? Because you, yeah. you, both of you just touched on many, many of our questions. So don't worry on that account. You guys pretty much went through a bunch of the questions I had. Um, I did just want to ask really quick uh, in the process of getting the new translation around for uh, plus movie edition. um, Was there anything that you carried over from manga's crack at it? Like any touches or was the, was the, was the decision just to make from the ground up? Okay. Um, what do you what do you want I, to say? I, I, I can cover this or you can cover it, whatever you... <laughs> um okay let me let me start it let me put it in position i'm gonna let gwen take it as okay. far as working on what you ended up seeing on screen the original pitch when we decided on plus because of time constraints and knowing 
that Big West was busy with the second Delta movie. We pitched it as, let's get this going. Let's show the Blu-ray, Bandai, Blu-ray, like not show the Bandai Blu-ray physical. Like it's, you know, it's, it's not the source of that Blu-ray. Get that along with the subs that were on the official Blu-ray release here in Japan. Because the movie did have subtitles on Blu-ray here in Japan. Yeah. However, that is a mystery translation. It is not the Neil Nailman translation that was done for Manga Entertainment. Mm. It is a very interesting translation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you've ever seen it. Because I personally like the Manga Entertainment one done by Neil Nailman. And... Mm who has a large body of translation. Yeah, he does great and, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if if we could have ran with that, that would have what that's what I would have done. Right. But there just wasn't time and you know no all those those translations are kind of so old at this point that finding out who owns them is probably something for someone in the future who licenses it to yeah. to look into. So the Japanese Blu-ray box included the Brian Cranston dub on the first three episodes of the OVA, the David Hayter dub, international dub on the fourth episode, and this mystery set of English subtitles on the movie, which had such nuggets as referring to um, Isamu and Gold as having a bromance, and also got the actual name of the Valkyries back to front when people were talking about them, and things like that. So what he's mentioning is the scene where both uh, Gold and Isamu make up and Yang is in the back seat. I believe the manga entertainment was the Yang's uh, translation was, uh, I always knew these guys were good. Like I always knew they were friends. Yeah, like they get like, along after all. Right. You know. But in the, in the Bandai dub, it's like, what a bromance. <laughs> and we're like, well, wait a minute. This bromance was not a thing in 1994. When, when did this dub get made? Or not dub. Sub, when did this, sub this sub for Bandai happen? This had to happen between, 2003 and any time between last week. 2008, going by the word bromance. And so we just said, just use it as is because we don't know what Big West schedule is. We don't know if they're going to allow us to adjust it. Mm -hmm. Luckily, there was enough time and we put in the request. They sent us the SRT and we made tweaks. Right. Well, Well, extensive tweaks. We we scrapped bromance. (laughs) Um, we did fix the uh, correction because the scene where uh, Yang and Isamu are leaving Eden uh, Lucy the translation says you know um, the wife 21 also has a civilian on board it's it's not the 21 it's the 19 19. (laughs) so we made those corrections we polished up some dialogue that um, was Actually singular, but there it was translated as a group of people. Mm-hmm. Like the very opening is Mune reminiscing about her voice, but the the Bandai dub is you know we thought our voices could carry or something like that, but it's her talking about her dream because you know it was her whole story of I have no dreams, I have no this, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, so it was very literal in those kind of areas, yeah. but we approached it as in look, there's not much time here. Um, and 
you know, no one has time to retime all these subs. So we've got to keep them pretty much within the framework of what was on those Blu-rays. Yeah. But let's tweak and polish them to at least get them to, say, a film festival circuit level. Mm. So, you know, I wouldn't say that kind of the quality I'd want on a commercial release. Yeah. I'd, I'd want something closer to a needle nailman kind of product. But we wanted to get them so that people who saw it in the cinema didn't think, well, this has got a lot of English in it. You know, we yeah. wanted them to feel that it was a professional product. So I, I hope we got to that. Well, no knock on whoever the Phantom person is that worked on this, because if you bought the Blu-ray, they're good enough, right? Yeah, and if you're paying that much for the Blu-ray, you probably know the story pretty it's, well. It's it's a bonus, really. So yeah, but the Blu-ray's prop, even though it's the international edition, it was exclusive mm-hmm. to Japan, so it's probably catering to a very small market of people who either speak English and read English in Japan, or, of course, a very hardcore, dedicated American fan base, or I guess Western yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, and because we are not authoring the subs and timing them, any corrections we had had to be the length of the actual line they originally made, because we can't retime it to be on screen longer. Yeah. yeah. Because Gwen found some lines that were incomplete, like missing half of what was being said. But we either had to make it really short, or just capture the most important point of what's being said. Yeah. Gotcha. That being said, I would in no way say those are our subs. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. We were we just did a Q, like a QA pass. QA pass to make it better for the audience for a one-time viewing mm-hmm. because we couldn't add anything and we couldn't take away because if we could have, we probably would have put the lyrics of voices in there. But the Japanese Blu-ray doesn't have them. So we can't add them because we're not the one authoring it, right? Because you can't just write, put this in, put this in on screen unless you have the actual like, uh, time, uh, time codes, right? Mm-hmm. But in a perfect world, I would have loved to have had the permission to reach out to Neil Nadelman and say, do you have this stuff on file? Right. Do you have an SRT we can use? And I could have done that through Twitter, but then I would still have to go around to you know, the owners of the franchise to say, can we use this? And then they have to say, we don't have time to look at old contracts. It's got to be as is. Yep. <laughs> so, so it was, it was, I wouldn't say it was good enough, but um, it was better than it, what it would have been. Right. But does that answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. That, yeah. That, yeah. That, that's a great answer. Yeah. Um, and and there are there are a few tweaks. Can I mention the bird? Oh yeah, no that that's all you. Because <laughs> uh, they're uh, actually I know it. Right, go ahead. Go the ahead. Dinosaurs, dinosaurs. Here you go. <laughs> so I, hang on. What I I have listened to the last two podcasts you guys did, but what were you referring to the the giant bird as again? It was the was it the Petra Petra something? I think. The dub that I mean, the the subs that PMC and I are watching, I think, refer to it mm-hmm. as a petrosaur, which well, I think is pulled from the Blu-ray. Right. I I, right. I I don't want to call Steven out here, but I do think it said a pterosaur, like a pterodactyl, instead of petro. But I didn't want to. Mm. That didn't seem worth <laughs> coming after you. Is it pterosaur? I'm All pretty right. sure it's P T E R O sore. So I believe that's what it was in the subtitle. Uh, before you answer, it's going to depend on what SRT file you you saw it with, because. Right. If you saw the actual manga entertainment, mm-hmm. um, Neil, Neil Nadelman, it'll be something. And if you happen to download the version, but you downloaded a fan sub, it'll be the, the one you said. Okay. Mm. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, this was just something that I don't know if anyone picked up before, but it's supposed to be Sorrow Bird or Sorrow Bird, like the saw from Dinosaur. And the reason we worked this out is because we went back through the production materials in a bunch of Macross Plus books. And the original design was by Kazutaka Miyatake, the designer of the original STF-1 and one of the designs of the original Yamato. He designed that bird. And he actually had the name of it written in English on his original designs. Mm -hmm. So we're like, well, this is a great chance to put in what he'd originally called it. Because my stance with these kind of things when I do do translating is as long as it's not grammatically totally fubar, I try to respect the effort of putting something to English that the Japanese creators have made, especially when it comes to names, because Japanese tend to view the usage of nouns and proper nouns very differently to a native English speaker and come up with some really fascinating, interesting things that make the the creation stand out. So, like you put it this way, Neil Nailman translated it exactly to the Japanese, Mm -hmm. which the Japanese says it's this type of dinosaur. So if you copy that kanji, put it in Google Translate, right. which I had to do, it comes out with what Neil Nadelman said. Yep. We went the extra mile to, to name it what uh, Miyatake put in the book that was published after the production was done, yeah. right? So it didn't come to light until way after both yeah. TV and the OVAs were made. So even though it's more of a liberty we took on a fan level, because that's not what the Japanese says. Japanese says the technical name of the bird, um, because probably the voice actors didn't even know what it was called right. or in the script. But as for that Macross nugget, we put in what Miyatake called it. So on the screen, it's, you know, he goes up to Lucy and he's like, so did you see my solo bird? Uh, I yep. think it's said about three times. It comes up about three times because there's yeah. the big version. Then there's the small versions, which are uh, on the, the hill with the windmills. When they go up to their uh, date, there's a the small ones that fly away when Mung approaches them. And on a side note, <laughs> Stephen, <laughs> in Macross 7 Encore, there is a side story for Gubaba and where Gubaba mm. came from, and they're chased by raptor sized T Rexes. Interesting. Aha. Uh-huh. And that's uh-huh. how they f- they, Gubaba was rescued. Uh, by Max. Max on a basically on a away mission kind of thing, mm-hmm. and was like the sole surviving Gubaba. Thanks to Go- thankfully for Gubaba, Max is a blue shirt, not a red shirt on this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there are, I guess you would say, dinosaurs of various sizes. Yeah. Within the Macross on different planets, but uh, not only that, there's intradi sized cows on the frontier. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Ah. So, so. Do the uh, speaking of like very specific naming conventions, what's do you know, by any chance know the name of those? I tweeted out they look like chocobos to me. And um, on Eden, PMC knows what I'm talking about, right? The Macross, know, the cow things. Oh, the, you see them on the side of the road, like yeah, yeah. Like, don't montage. you see them when Isamu's on his bike, right? Don't they go past? Yeah, them, they're like yeah. eating. From memory, they are basically like medium. They're the medium um, sized version of the same bird. From memory, I'd have okay. to the production materials but um from memory they had the three different sizes and they're all basically the same genome so you've got the small ones with the the kind of weird bat looking wings um the the small ones on the side of the road and then the giant one okay and you see multiple ones just all the smaller ones flying after it right because it's like the, the queen sora bird 
Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I think if we could have had it, like if we were in like a producing position where we're like, oh, and we'd like it this way, this way, and there was time. Yeah, I think we would have approached Neil Nadelman, try to figure something out. Yeah. And then probably would have been like, hey, you know, this part in this book, there's this. Yeah. You know, what's your feedback on it? Because, you know, I really do think he did a great job. Yeah, he's been in the industry for forever. You know, yeah. He's yeah. still doing stuff to this day. So, I, I remember him you know, talking about August and August 2, I think, and, mm-hmm. you know, all those kind of translations. And, yeah, he does his work. But the stuff we did do translations for. Oh. <laughs> um. As for the extra content, there was the Kyle Moore interview. And um, again, um, this is all being produced by Big West. And, you know, they they agreed to come on and use Fathom's distribution system, but they're technically distributing it to you guys, Big West. You know, it's mm. Fathom is the route they give it to you. And as much as we can, we're trying to um predict certain things that happen within the industry that don't need to happen mm-hmm. and we we hope for the best plan for the worst and when it came to the Kawamori interview by the time it was in the can translated we were asked to look at it after the fact and we said uh, we need to fix this translation so he spent like a weekend brushing up the English translation that you guys saw, mm-hmm. we turned it in and it came back. Oh, there's no time to get this version in over the existing one. It's going to have to go as is. So, yeah. yeah. So unfortunately the, uh, the tweaked version never made it out. Yeah. And it's just a more polished version, especially when he's talking about going to the flight uh, centers and testing. Right. We just wrote it to where it makes more sense. Uh, especially when you're reading. Plus, those are stories you know, we've heard for years. You yeah. Know. And the other thing you may notice is it's very text-heavy when you're watching on the theater mm. because a non-native speaker was the person aligning the subs. And everything, I believe, I think we had got the alignment fixed, but the original cut, everything was from the left margin. Oh, okay. Right. So I, we were able, they were able to fix that, but not get our version of the translation in. Right. Then the Macross history thing came our way, and that was originally just for the Tamashi stream. Mm-hmm. And we had gotten the script, we gotten everything, and they said, we need it by this day. And we didn't know what it was for, but we knew there was going to be the stream. And then we kind of figured, oh, they're probably going to show this during the stream. And we give them the translation, and then we see it live, as you guys did, because we watched the, the stream, as Coop saw. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're like, oh, and it's all from the left margin again. And we're like, oh, gosh, like, what are you going to do? As long as that's the only problem where there's double spacing between certain words, because you have to think about it. Somebody that's capable of doing Japanese subs is getting an English script and they're just copying, and pasting it. But they don't understand how like sub format is. Right. Yeah. And somehow, some way you get to the new frontier short, which, um, Hopefully, officially, uh, here it's called Toki no Mekyu, which directly translated is just Labyrinth of Time. So that's yeah. kind of what everyone knows it as. I've forgotten about this. So we, we get to that part where they're talking about the latest short, and we turn it in, and it's like Labyrinth, you know, Macross Frontier, Labyrinth of Time. Well, the person working on it must have copy and pasted that line and 
forgot to copy the L in Labyrinth and pasted it into, you know, whatever editing suite they're using. However, they must have noticed they missed the L in Labyrinth. What do you think a Japanese person is going to put in its place? Uh, naturally, R. <laughs> Right. Yes. So we're watching it live in this labyrinth of time. And I and he's like, did we send that? And I immediately look at the file. I'm like, no, no, right here. There's an L. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. And then we're like, oh, what are you going to do? And then that was the week before the or two weeks before two weeks, ago. two weeks before the front uh, plus premiere. And then. They had told us, oh, as kind of a bonus, uh, we'll, we'll send that file to um, for Fathom to show. And I was like, can we fix it? Can we fix it? And we fixed it, and it didn't go through. Like, it didn't get sent. Mm. So you guys saw the exact same version that was on the Twitter stream. However, those subs were not set for the safety. Like, they weren't, they weren't positioned in the safety regions of... For subs. So some theaters got half the subtitles cut off. So I saw a lot of pictures of that because even like Justin Savakis, um, you know, from Media OCD, Mm -hmm. I follow him and he was tweeting, okay, I'm about the movie's going to start. Hopefully, Fathom, this goes well. And before the movie starts, (laughs) he shows his screen. He goes, it's not looking so good. And I have the subs are cut off. And I'm like, just getting worse and worse and worse. (laughs) I think I saw that, that tweet. Yeah, but there's, it depends on what theater you went to. Because some theaters, as you know, like they have there's a thing called throw between the projector and the screen. Yeah. So for some, for some theaters, they got to see the subs because not every projector is positioned in the same position. So I did see some tweets that I think Mike Tool, all, like he took a picture of like a selfie. And in the background, you can see Macross 2 and then the subs are perfectly fine. Yeah. So... I guess the long and short of it is we, we it, it made it to the screen duct taped but in one piece, more or less. <laughs> so Yeah, the presentation <clears throat> on my end was fine, the theater I went to. I was worried that the theater wasn't going to play the pre show. Because that I when I go to Fathom events, that tends to happen. Well they'll forget to play like the fifteen minutes of commercials or trailers beforehand or other promotional stuff like interviews. Yeah, I learned that the hard way. Did you uh did you notice who did the narration for it? I did not actually. So it was actually Shaw Hayami, who is a Max. So it's the original ah. Max. There's hmm. that through line because it was in the original and your seven and possibly in something else that trailers are up for. Um, but yeah, ah. it was just nice to have that that through line. Right? Yeah. So yeah, oh, very cool. Yeah. So we did do some translation, <laughs> but. Um... You know, it was kind of if if it's doable, if we can get it in in time, and that's because again, the Delta movie came out, and they're like on a skeleton crew working on this project. We're doing as much as we can on our side, but things are getting through without, you know, getting fixed. So right. hopefully, it was it was good enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to ask. I do have one question about production. Was there <laughs> oh, any talk about been... dubbing it? And uh, Hypothetical question. Unlimited time, unlimited money, unlimited power. Would you have dubbed it? Not to put you too unlimited on Unlimited money. <laughs> unlimited <laughs> money. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes things a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, 
I mean, if if we were to answer that, that would just be total like us fan fans, jazz, right? and, yeah. like just be oh, if we could do this, but we're not in that position. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, was it Mike Tool that yeah uh, yeah, yeah Mike, Mike Tool Mike. like when it got announced as the subtitle version, he was the first one to go on Twitter and say, "Release <laughs> the dub, you cowards!" <laughs> <laughs> and we're sitting there going, "I know he knows better. I know he knows there's no dub, <laughs> but we're just being quiet." And um, and then what was funny was two. I think on that same tweet, I think two tweets after that, um, Richard Epcar yep. replied That's to him, true. tagging Cranston and says, "I'm in if you're in." <laughs> <laughs> oh no you know shouts to richard that's that's a good move uh, props right? to him yeah he's like i'm in if you're in what do you say something like that and um somebody came back in and i think i kind of just jumped in really quick and i was just like never like you know anything is possible or just kind of something stupid yeah um without trying to say uh, hey i'm behind it but yeah like i'm i i I'm the type, and Gwen knows this, that um, uh, I think out of the box a lot. Mm. So I come up with some really far-fetched ideas, and they have worked. But it's not because it's a far-fetched idea, and I'm just throwing it to see if it sticks. There's a little bit of method to my madness, because I know how it works in Japan. So I'm Mm. putting it in where it may work. Maybe it's not 100%, but there's a higher chance of it works. Uh, so like whether it's this or certain other things, we've gotten a little bit far because we've done things differently, but still at a level that people in Japan corporate wise are somewhat comfortable with. Yeah. Right. And so that's basically how we got here. And if there was, could ever be a dub, uh, yes, please. Right. Like, who wouldn't want to see Cranston come back? But then <clears throat> that creates another problem, mm. right? Because you know how fans are. It's got to be the complete, complete, complete edition. <laughs> so the first thing that's going to happen is, okay, say you get Epcar, Dan Warren back, Cranston comes back. Now this is hypothetical, right? I'm just I'm not saying anything other than that. I'm just fan, just throwing out fan stupidity. <laughs> That gets announced. The first thing the fans are going to do is like, oh, well, aren't you going to redub everything with Hater and the other cast too? Like, oh, come on. I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know it's not enough. Like, the, it would have to be all the way to make everyone happy. So I don't think that's possible. <laughs> and then what would, and say like, you know, maybe on a small, 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 minuscule scale, like maybe there's a chance that if they ever dub frontier the frontier movies in English, if there's that ever happens, you know, like who are you gonna get for the cameo? Free some Hater uh, or Caston? That that's a that's a good point. I never even yeah. thought about that. Yeah. It's like it's a one line. Yeah. But um like get Cranston, which one? Get a Cranston yeah. imitator to just go <laughs> Give that one scream and one line, and yeah. <clears throat> At this point, I'd just be happy if Cranston um, recognized his old dub work publicly. Not that he's hiding it, but I would love to hear him on an interview, see him on an interview where he mentions name drops like Isamu Dyson. I mm-hmm. looked, I couldn't find anything. 
He, he mentions, like I said in the history episode and last episode we recorded, he does mention his work on like dubbing for Power Rangers, and he generally gestures towards some of that early dub work, but he doesn't name names. I want to, I want the Royal Space Force mentioned here, the Armitage Three mentioned here, um, Brian Cranston. All right, here's this uh, again. I heard you talk about this when I finished up the last podcast, and you you said something like, "Oh man," and you said how you were looking for that kind of stuff. Mm. So I did a really quick search, and there's an old 19, maybe late 70s, 1980s movie um, called Alligator about this giant alligator that got a, a small alligator that gets flushed down the sewers of like New York or something mm. and grows to this huge size. It came out like 19, like maybe late 70s, early 80s, mm. and goes on a rampage killing people. And, um, it's like there's really no big actors in it, but apparently Cranston was in the film as an extra. Mm. And when it came to the scene where they needed to blow up the alligator, they didn't have enough uh, visual effects people on hand for the practical. So he overheard the conversation and said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And Shout Factory just re-released Alligator. <laughs> so after you mentioned that, I did a search like what's the videos for Cranston and like acknowledging stuff. And it just went like up two days ago. And it's like Shout Factory did an interview with him where he talks about that whole scene. Oh, wow. Right. <laughs> and he's just talking about like this is like early 70s, early 80s. And it's like, dude, if, if you can get him to come back to talk about the movie <laughs> Alligator, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like doesn't Shout Factory release anime? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they, they, they do stuff with G Kids. Yep. Let's see. Like, we would we would do this stuff when we worked at the movie theater back in the, like the early mid two thousands, just going through IMDb and looking up people's really obscure credits. There's mm. a movie called Grizzly Two Revenge. It's from it's a it's from let's see, it got re released recently. But anyway, it's a sequel to a film that came out in the mid seventies. But anyway, really schlocky B movie. George Clooney's in it. Laura Dorn's in it. John Reese Davies is in it. It's an intersection of all <laughs> these like big names, but it's like the most obscure movie you never did hear of. Mm. Wow, <clears throat> I do recommend watching Alligator. I I do have a fondness for it, but he's not. Maybe he's in a couple of scenes. If you had the freeze frame, I don't remember. He was as and an extra. He wasn't even the main cast, as far as I remember. Mm. So again, for them to kind of pull somebody that was somewhat connected to the production, and he's still acknowledging it, just as like, oh, I just raised my hand, I did it but he's not actually starring in the movie and he comes back for um, shout factory, you know, the whole black room lighting interview kind of style video. Who knows? I, I don't see why he would not acknowledge uh, Isama Dyson over an alligator. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, check it out that I literally found it yesterday and I think it went up like two days ago. Oh, definitely. It's on the, this interview is on YouTube, like two from like forty eight hours ago. Wow. Okay. Awesome. Uh, let's see. So after the af- the aftermath of plus, is there more to the story? No. Well, <laughs> they have questions. That'd be fine. But we get to the aftermath. That's what we worked on. The movie went out. We got the good news from um, Fathom Events that it was v- very good. We want more macros. <clears throat> Great. Yeah. Wonder how it's what's that? What's the answer going to be on the other side? <clears throat> mm. So that was I think it was like December fourteenth. 
And four days after that, we landed that long-awaited meeting with Onishi. And now we're under an NDA, so we can't say, say anything. <laughs> Still and even the, saying that's tantalizing. And the podcast production sprouts to a standstill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would make it difficult. It's difficult to podcast when you, when you can't do any, any, anything. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there is a um, – to be brief about it, another thing with businesses in Japan and, and professionals in any industry mm-hmm. is that you're generally really, really discouraged from speaking out about anything you work on. And just oh, yeah. apart from NDAs, just in general. you know. So yeah, mm-hmm. if you're a certain level of, of a producer or a certain personality, maybe you get away with something. But you know, um, I've worked in like the video game industry, the pachinko industry – tangentially the anime industry i've worked for government i've worked public private sectors and you know i had a point where you know i if i was on someone's podcast which covered topics related to any company i was employed in i had to veto it you know Mm -hmm. um it's just frowned upon i've had companies which have called me up on my twitter profile picture at times you know um companies can be really really strict about that kind of stuff so i know if this wasn't a japanese context even being under an NDA, it'd probably still be cool for people to you know go out and do, to do their fan podcasts. So unfortunately, in Japan, that's very much frowned upon. So mm-hmm. we're currently looking for a way with our podcasting to kind of reorient the cast because we do cover a lot of non-macro stuff as well. Um, and there's always stuff going on here. I mean, most recently, we went to um, Hideaki Anno exhibit covering his entire career, and it was absolutely mind-blowing, and we just haven't had time to sit down and talk about it. But there's still those kind of experiences we're hoping to cover. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, there's there's definitely certain topics we can't talk about from now on. So no. yeah, we're we're looking at how to reposition things. But look, we're hoping that if there's anything we can ever talk with you guys about, um, yeah, let's let's collaborate because there's definitely. always you know fascinating stuff out there. Yeah. So you know, we do have an episode in the can that we did because um, we obviously we saw the new movie, and even we talked. You know, we didn't cover, we didn't give any spoilers. We didn't say, we just kind of say in general, it was this, it was very enjoyable. And we had that in the can prior to that meeting. And then after that meeting, we said, okay, never going to see a live time. day. I didn't <laughs> we should have got it, time. we should have put it up beforehand. Yeah, um, of course. But, I mean, chances are everyone is going to be able to see this movie anyways. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And yeah, there's there's still we tend to put up galleries of, of photos from events we go to, and there's always something all Tucker related going on. I mean, theaters have not shut down during the pandemic for most of the time. So you know, we went to a, a Karukawa film festival and saw like Bobby's Girl and God, I'm I'm blanking all the time. I went to like four or five movies, like all these old Karukawa anime we saw. Neo Tokyo. Yes, Neo Tokyo on the big screen. That was terrific. Um, so we kind of want to sit down and talk about stuff like that. So, yeah, there's, there's still plenty going on. Just if anyone's wondering why we haven't been around as much, uh, we're still trying to just find our footing. Yeah. So, uh, end of the day, Fathom was very happy with the turnout. They would, they would like the opportunity to bring over more Macross. Um, we have, you know, Creative Sphere. We have a very good relationship. That experience was wonderful. They mm-hmm. they were terrific. Um, 
they listen to our advice, you know, they, when, you know, whenever we kind of said like, just let us rework and massage some stuff, they let us take lead. And it was a very good experience for, I think everyone involved. So, um, if you want more Macross in the theaters, like, you know, go see Fathom events, but I, I don't mean it as like a marketing thing. Like go, go, go and see Fathom movies, go and see every movie, whether it's bell or a Shinkai movie or, you know, Char's counterattack, you know, um, you know, especially during these times, if you feel comfortable going out, go and see those movies to help everyone involved. Right. Cause, um, that's how you're going to get more movies. That's how you're going to be able to see other things and give other things a chance to get out there. But in the case of Macross, things are looking promising and, um, you know, let's see what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah. So any, any questions outside of that? Well, one last thing before we officially wrap this up is I wanted to highlight the GoFundMe you set up for Kazutaka Miyatake, the mechanical designer for the original Macross. You mentioned some of his other credits, Yamato, Gunbuster as well, to name a few. Last May, a fire broke out in his house in Yokosuka. Both he and his wife were hospitalized. He was released from the hospital. His injuries were minor, but tragically, his wife passed away. Um, But please tell us about the GoFundMe, its success, and how we can help. It's getting more emotional uh, as of today, especially. Yeah. Um, so first off, it's a group effort. Uh, my name is only on there because um, GoFundMe uh, is only accessible for certain regions as far as getting the withdrawals paid up. So my name's on there because it's going to go to my bank, then go directly to Miyatake because GoFundMe does not withdraw to Japan. And certain other countries. Yeah, the topic of Japanese banks and how most things are still paper-driven is a whole other topic for discussion. But yeah, <laughs> so and that's why when you if you read the the original announcement, this is really headed by Hidetaka Tenjin and a group of fans turned, you know, industry professional. Industry professional. And then we're credited at the bottom. And I mean. Whether it's us, we credited everyone that gave their time for the translation. There is an individual that opted not to be credited, who is a, you know, I'm very grateful he joined the project. Um, And I think a lot of, which I think we're going to go really far. I think we have a really good team and we're all trying to communicate because, like, Sometimes people don't know each other. We all live in Tokyo. We don't have the chance to actually get to know people. We only know their online personas, right? Mm. So we reached out to people we probably wouldn't have reached out to before to be like, hey, this is going on. We want to do this. <clears throat> and everyone was in. Yeah. So that was great. So yeah, it's a group effort. But Tangent is the lead on this on this project because last May when this happened, like we were talking about it. It's like, oh man, because it was originally announced on the news that there was this fire in Yokosuka, and um, they omitted the names. Yeah, originally, so we didn't know who it was. So mm. I actually saw the broadcast where they show through like these, you know, thick foliage of trees a house that was on fire, and they said in Yokosuka, there's this fire, blah blah blah. You know, like the, um, two people were taken to the hospital, one person passed. Um, a couple of weeks later, a member of Nue put on Twitter that it was in fact Mia Takia's house and his wife had passed. And that didn't really get a lot of traction. It got Anime News Network, Ollie Barter did 
uh, report on it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, we do, yeah. But um, within the industry, even in Japan, a lot of people missed it because it was already old news by the time Niue put it in public eye. So it was really good that the overseas fans, being that they really keep up on stuff, it was more news there than here. So at the time, we had thought, like, oh, you know, there was the whole KyoAni thing, GoFundMe. That would be really good if something would be put together. However, Miyatake is part of the old guard for as far as production. And you really can't go and start a thing like that and expect them to take it. Mm. Right. It's a generational thing. You know, yeah. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps first and, before accepting anything. Yeah. And we've stood next to the man and we've talked to people that know him personally, but we're in no position to get that approved ahead of time. And then around two months later, Tenjin came to us and said, okay, I've been updated on the situation. And, you know, Kalmori, New Way, they're going to do everything they can to support him. Our generation, we don't have to do anything. They're going to take care of them. And we're like, oh, okay, that's, that's really good. You know, but then COVID never stopped. Things are getting a little bit worse here and there for many people, not just Miyatake. And this past, last year, November, you know, we always talk at detention and he was, he had met with Miyatake the evening after the filming of the Bandai announcement, the um, Macross launch ceremony. Where he shows up, because Miyatake is on there in a tux. With his headband on. With his headband. <laughs> <laughs> and that evening, or the night before, Tenjin had met him for dinner, and one of Tenjin's main book editors. And got an update on how things are going, and how, you know, how he feels. And the next time that we had a call with Tenjin, because talking about games, we all, like, every Friday we play Ghost of Tsushima, like, Legends. <laughs> So we're always just talking games, and that's how we kind of survived, you know, lockdown. And he just opened up. He's like, I'd really like to do something. And I was talking to him and just saying, well, you know, there's this thing called GoFundMe. And Gwen and I kind of tossed it around, but we, you told us we don't have to do anything. And we had to go through the whole rigmarole of explaining to him what is a GoFundMe. Because the website doesn't even have a Japanese language option, you know. So, yeah. mm. so that took a little bit. Like again, he has to go and write this Japanese report of what it is, how it works, because Tangent needs to understand it to then go to not just Miyatake, but to go to Nue, to go to everyone that cares about Miyatake to say, "There's this thing we kind of think it would be a good thing," and then he's got to take three weeks to individually explain it to these other people that are either further, even further removed from something like a crowdfunding platform. And then eventually at the end of the year, we got a thumbs up and then we started planning it and planning as far as I registered an account had a very not, we didn't really have a clear idea what to go for. We didn't know what to, how much to ask for. So it was constantly meeting. What do we do? How are we going to do this? What are we going to write? And uh, then we reached out to everyone individually to come together, had a meeting, set a date to launch, and that's how it happened. Yeah. And the the response to it has been overwhelming and extremely humbling. And I think everyone involved in the project has been really grateful to everyone that's, uh, that's contributed to it so far. Yeah. yeah. It's been 
like like from the time we went live, you know, we're sitting there going nothing, nothing yet, nothing. And like the 40 minutes later, we, we got something and we're like, okay. And then 12 hours later, we met that goal and we've gotten like three times since that close yeah, to it. Yeah. Like we hit 50,000 just day before yesterday. And I mean, granted we came up with the initial goal of 18,000 as a, as a ballpark figure, because honestly we hadn't seen the condition of his house yet. We just knew that he'd been in temporary housing at the very least would need to move. And you're moving in Japan is notoriously expensive. Everywhere has key money. There are at least three to four forms of deposit that you normally have to pay to move into an apartment. Um, so we're like, you know, this in theory would be enough to help him out, get some furniture, get some work supplies. Um, but we were spitballing it basically, mm-hmm. you know, trying. So the fact that we were scared, we wouldn't be able to meet that. Um, and the fact that it blew past it is just unbelievable. Yeah. So we're trying to figure out things and trying to get as, as much push on it, even going, we don't know how long we're going to run it. Um, the the year uh, the anniversary of the fire will be in May. We just uh, we're receiving content for the updates because we're going to put up pictures of what the house looks like, how it looks like now, like what's in store, and it's a it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. Because so, um, they have to you know, work out what to do with the house because it's not like the thing fully burned down, but it did partially burn down. And um, Miyatake, apart from mechanical designs, you know, he's really into plants and and botany kind of stuff um his house was almost a, a mini block of forest in the middle of yokosuka oh, wow. um in the more recent yamato remakes like yamato 2199 he actually did a lot of the planetscapes that appear in that show um with like twisted alien plants and things like that yeah and even in the news report you actually couldn't see the house you can only see the flames coming through the the tree line and the photos and those will actually be going up in one of the updates right next week. Yeah. It's it's an old Japanese wooden house. It's you know the he was I believe Tenjin mentioned he was born and he was born, born and, and raised, raised in that house. So we're we're looking Tenjin and Miyatake, they're gonna try to look into quotes on what it would take to not rebuild the house but make it livable again so he could move back in so depending on that you know we're going to just keep seeing how much trickles in and and hopefully you know the the more the better to help him out in this kind of situation yeah but on a positive note he's getting updates every day and he's just amazed um and not only miyatake kaomori is in awe of all this members of new way the industry is in awe because the industry it, it took them by surprise and to see something like not on a KyoAni scale, but for a certain generation of creators that were so close to finally see this. And, and I don't, it's not about Macross being blocked or anything for however many years, but it is the first time they're seeing this fandom they've always heard about. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's like I said, it's been humbling, and uh, yeah, we're we're aiming to be as transparent as possible, you know, to be to get uh, you know updates when there's something to report with with hopefully some photos and let people know. You know we don't want to be a situation of you know we're asking for money, gave it to him, that's it. We're trying to make sure 
um, it communication is a, is a two way street where we can. Yeah. Yeah. But these things do take time and it's not like he's going to rebuild his life overnight. So it may be a lengthy relationship with everyone who's been kind enough to donate to us, but uh, we're hoping they'll, uh, they'll stick with us and we'll, uh, we'll update everyone. Uh, yeah. As we go along. Yeah. And all I can ask is if you haven't already tweet about it. Um, if you, if you have some kind of anime outlet, or entertainment outlet that you can point to, by all means, just let people know about it. That's yeah. that's all I can ask. Yeah, signal boosting is is what we really uh, because I think we've hit most of the people we can in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so spreading it throughout the the foreign community because a lot of people aren't even really aware of what he's done. You know, when they do realize, they're like, oh, you know, toss in twenty or fifty dollars or something. So mm-hmm. um, anything. You or your listeners can do to help us with signal boosting outreach. We would be extremely grateful. Yeah. We will definitely yeah. do that. So it's one last thing. I'm gone. <laughs> well, <clears throat> well, outside of that, but um, one final thing about creative sphere. Again, um, we are luckily in a new position working with big West. Um, and if there are those out there that are listening that are, um, you know, dealing with licensing for manga, distribution, film, because, you know, Fathom, we're only concentrating on North America as far as America goes with possibilities of additional outreach. But you're in Singapore, <clears throat> you know, if you're in Europe or you're in South America, Brazil, you know, like reach out. Do you know? Give us some contacts, and we'll try to put some stuff forward. That's uh, you know strictly business, but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think our goal as a company is to you know help to facilitate yeah. things uh, for people who aren't used to dealing with you know directly with Japan, because in many anime licensing instances and, and video games as well, for that matter, you know the, there's a middleman or they have an overseas office. Uh, in this case, it's kind of one of the last bastions of a, a very Japanese style company way of doing business so anything we can help to uh help get content out there and help put people in touch on this end you know we're like ghostbusters right we're standing by waiting for your call (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so we saw afterlife the other day finally (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh but no seriously there is movement on um many different levels but um yeah they like people within the industry they are of the, you know, that whole Macross 7 license thing of, you know, diffi- there's kind of something in the industry where people think that, you know, like maybe a certain company already has everything locked down and it's not the case. So, yeah. All right. Can I, can I finish up with something not business related? Sure. Okay. So this kind of goes out to Coop more than anyone else, but uh, as you may or may not be aware, it's currently Cybersecurity Awareness Month here in Japan. <laughs> And for some reason, the, the, the government's teamed up with Macross to promote it. So there's posters of Macross all over Tokyo uh, with the Macross characters. Um, they've apparently stolen or liberated part of your podcast title, uh, because the slogan for the <laughs> campaign is Minmei reaching out saying, do you remember to update your virus software? <laughs> uh, that's good. Um it also kind of reminded me of a certain trailer for a certain movie that came out. Like the very first line said by a certain character is like, 
hey, do you remember Macross? And I'm all like, I'm just going to take that as a nice coincidence and enjoy this movie when it comes out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's pretty much everything in a nutshell. Um, Sorry, we went on long long longer oh, no. than you thought it would have but uh, this um, has all been wonderful like, like really i mean it, you you sometimes you have guests on and they just they already know all the questions you're gonna ask and they just do it and it's excellent and this is this is one of those times you made it easy for us coop but, do you want yeah. to so uh adrian gwen thank you so much for coming on the podcast do you want any further promotions you want to do um we have a twitter account yeah we creative sphere does have a twitter account that has been inactive i mean it's been around since 2016 um we created it when we did our first professional work right after delta was released but we hadn't really built up too much business on the company because it was had only been three years old at the time but going forward from this year we're gonna start putting ourselves out there so we'll go ahead and give that out here so if people have any inquiries about um uh anime industry business in general opposed to not just macros but right uh, i mean if anyone wants to contact us again with uh, with regards to macro stuff as as well on a professional business level yeah you know um they can ping us via this uh twitter account because you know we don't really want to use it we use our personal ones for, for business related stuff, now so. to be clear that professional business means a existing business not a business venture nor an nft proposal <laughs> <laughs> good to hear Mo- monkeys man oh yeah um all right so so, so yeah it's it's at it's a abbreviation for creative sphere so it's uh c-r-e-s-p-h-e um sphere not spear uh, Chris, yeah, Chris, Chris, um, but yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, you know, to us in, in a business capacity, we're always, you know, ping us by that and we can get back to you. Yeah. Awesome. So, but out of regular Otaku goodness, we have a regular Twitter accounts. Yeah. Um, uh, you can, if you just want to talk, uh, anime, Tokusatsu, Godzilla, Tokusatsu Giant Robo, not 90s Giant Robo. You can contact me at Giant Robo on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, I'm at my personal accounts on Twitter at uh, just Gwyn Campbell. Um, and, you know, I will be generally post reposting a, a, a bunch of other people's tweets regarding various anime franchises or random video game event pictures that I tend to take a lot of. But, uh, yeah, if anyone wants to drop us a line or if you guys ever want to drop us a line yeah feel free we're definitely absolutely those photos of any events happening in, like enthusiast events happening in japan are always really valued i love it i so there are a lot of other twitter accounts i follow i chucked out a lot of those photos from the ano exhibit and really enjoyed them terrific yeah there's a there's a lot to talk about with that event but uh, they just opened it down in was it kyoto or osaka something like that oh no no it was somewhere am i getting the the prefecture wrong they just reopened it somewhere. Um, it closed in Tokyo, um, and uh, yeah, they've reopened it elsewhere. But that that exhibit is is amazing, and it's so great to see him getting his due. Uh, I thought that exhibit would be mostly Evangelion, and it turned out to not be. It focused very much on his early days, um, and it was just amazing to see him getting his early works getting their their due. A lot of Daikon stuff, lots Bert. of general pro- lots of general product stuff, and. 
a very small Macross section. Yes. <clears throat> but obviously from original Macross mostly. But uh, it's very interesting to see as all the scenes I remember that have been like etched into my brain were mostly all the auto scenes. Wow. Mm. Yeah. I was like, he, mm, well, with that much detail. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. That would have been that one. That was the Anna one. Tension said the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I can't believe like all the, 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 all the shots that I distinctly remember were all on Yeah. Um, then they had like a section we'll get to this in a podcast at a later date, but devoted to the work he did on, um, on Nauska, the studio Jubilee, oh. which was really, really fascinating as well. And one single sheet of Genga from the walk cycle from Maddox zero one. Maddox zero one. <laughs> that intro, that big techie intro and the, the guys on the, the treadmill with the body, the lower body suit, like one frame of the Genga was in there. And I was like, Oh, he worked on that. That's the best part of the OVA. Wasn't it mislabeled? <laughs> uh, Wasn't it mislabeled or something? Was that- oh, it was included in the stack of Megazone 2 3 stuff. Uh, okay. But Renata said it was actually credited separately. Okay. Anyway, sorry guys. Look, we'll go on forever if we uh, keep this up. <laughs> so we'll let you get to your, your episode four of Macros Plus, right? Yes. And um, I do envy you because when episode four came out on VHS back in the day, there was the notorious gap between episode three and four while various issues were being sorted out. I forget whether it was six months or nine months, but I would go back to the one anime store in all of Sydney every week for about at least six to eight months waiting for that fourth episode to drop. And it was that the wait was just, you know, after the way episode episode three were being a, a slow episode after the way it ends that cliffhanger to mm-hmm. wait about nine months to see what happens after that it was just unbearable so i'm glad you guys didn't have to go through that <laughs> uh steven you're finishing up the ovas for the first time tonight right yes yeah, so we're gonna be talking i did finish them up and we're gonna be talking okay. about them very soon all right now that you've got to the end just which one did you like better so I liked. I think movie edition ends a little more gracefully. There's, it's a little less abrupt at the end. Um, the gold scene, I could kind of um, take or leave. I, I, there's parts of me that enjoy it. It's a, it's a little brutal, um, but I could see how it works in the context. Mm. I think I'm leaning towards movie edition overall, though, as a, as a complete work. I like I like the scenes that they added in. I like I appreciate some of the scenes that they omitted, and I thought they had a nice flow to it. I won't go into a long sp- spiel. Um, I had. Like we, earlier, you asked why did I like two so much, mm-hmm. um, and I was like saying because of the time it was released. When I heard about Plus, uh, I think it was Animage had a small write up about it before it ever came out, and it's a mixed bag where the dates are wrong. And mm-hmm. they even said, I believe they said it was a sequel to Macross Two, <laughs> so they they, they had the time wrong, but they do mention like uh, Virtual Idol and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was. It was obviously somebody talking. It sounds like somebody talking and getting some information wrong, mm-hmm. but it was obviously correct. It's just they didn't nail down certain things. <clears throat> and two was still an ongoing thing, so they probably just assumed it was after two because of the numbering. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it is in one of the Animage magazines. I read it. But, so I got excited when it first came out, and I went to go see episode one at this one event in L.A. expecting Mikimoto character designs. <laughs> So I went in, saw it. It was like, oh, this is great. Saw the character designs. It had nothing to do with the noses. I was just offended 
that how could you not have Mikimoto? This is not Macross without Mikimoto. And I left like, oh, no, no, I don't want to see it. And obviously when it started coming out, I finished up the volumes and got to, and I liked it because of the music. And again, I had those bootleg SM CDs, but um, Books and Pawn actually officially released it too, but it was way too expensive. And got to the end and I was just kind of, it was kind of a whimper for gold. Then the movie edition came out. I saw that. And yes, I liked the movie edition, not because of the overall storytelling or how it unveiled. I just, Mm. when you get to that end, it made no sense that um, gold can take a hit and then all of it just power up and then hit the ghost head on. Mm. Like if you can't, hit it with ammunition he can't get in front of it to hit it head on that made no sense <clears throat> so when the movie edition came out for him to take it up into the atmosphere what is it the hemisphere the atmosphere yeah and to force it to burn out yeah and then hit it as it burns out makes more sense and that whole <clears throat> the whole fact that he had to go to that very graphic scene like they didn't necessarily have to show it so graphic, but I'm assuming that's what would do to you. Yeah, it's yeah. Ve- that seems very visceral. It's very, yeah. yeah. So, but I do love the movie version for for its own merits, hmm. and I do love the OVA. Eventually, I just had an issue because it was a Mickey Moto. Yeah, I mean, I think cutting the bayonet <laughs> from the movie made sense pacing wise, but God, I missed it. Oh yeah, that bayonet is so sick. Right. Yeah. So yeah, but I'm um, interested in hearing the rest of it when it goes up. So I'll definitely be listening. But that was just my two cents on no one versus the other. But I love them both the same. But, I mean, yeah. If if I come up with any old, I mean, I know I've probably got a bunch of old you know, event reports and 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 photos and stuff that may help with contact context for some of your podcasts. I can always throw you a link if I pick oh, them up great. on on our old website. But uh, it's so hard yeah. to fact check some of these things at times. Unfortunately, a lot of our stuff is what's said at talk shows, so yeah. it's it's not based on a translation existing. It's literally mm-hmm. going to a talk show and someone just being open about something. Yeah. Um, so, so I know there's there's some um, there's there's some people out there that that take that as like we just well that didn't really happen. <laughs> yeah, so, well, <laughs> we we have been. Telling people about Macross 2 and Canonicity for a couple of years before those magazines came out late last year. Finally, we have it in print. And Renato was like, no, it's in print, but it's not in English, so it doesn't count to those people. It's like, damn it! <laughs> yeah, I mean, I misspoke on the podcast. I, I, I didn't know it was even recanonized at that point. Coop corrected me on air, but if Coop wasn't there, I would have I would rolled with it, because that's the only information I could find. Yeah, but again, it's not in, it's not in text somewhere. It's in a podcast, so it's like you're not going to find yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and... Um, stuff i know is really from seeing your guys's posts over the years or listening to speaker pods because I, I i love your on the boots ground reports on all these talks and stuff because uh when we were covering um sdf the episode phantasm i wouldn't have known about that production history unless uh Quinn yeah, that, me about it that that is a, a podcast i've I really would like to actually go back and do not so much a transcript, but an actual write-up of, because it was such a good talk by, by Carl Mori about that episode. But yeah, yeah, if I ever get around to it, have time. So 
Uh, and again, uh, you guys do a lot of work. I've listened to the last four podcasts, the zero episode. You know, have at it. Put the more information that's out there, the better, especially going into this year and next year. Hello, this is Future PMC. Thank you so much if you've made it to the end of our conversation here on Giant Robot FM with Adrian and Gwyn. Uh, they are both incredible. Like I, I really learned so much about their experience as fans and professionals, and uh, we hope it was beneficial to you. Uh, at the end here, I wanted to take a few moments to do the checklist. I wanted to ask if you did enjoy this podcast to rate and review us on your podcasting services, your iTunes, your Spotify. If you want to directly support Giant Robot FM, we have a Patreon with lots of patron-exclusive content, which you can find at patreon.com slash giantrobotfm. Credit to Dwarf S for the graphics that we use. Credit to Fretzel for all of the excellent music that we use for the intro and the outro. And of course, if you need links to anything that was mentioned in this podcast, whether that be the accounts for Creative Sphere or Adrian or Gwyn, or even for Coop of Do You Remember Macross, uh, those links will all be in the show notes. So again, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this special episode, Macross Plus Podcast Edition. Podcast Edition.